Hi, I'm Catherine McNamara from Shadowhunters, Arrow, and Untitled Horror Movie, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is completely free of restrictions as of sometime recently. I'm your host Craig and we've gotten through another month. It's the month of June is complete and with it is a bunch of news and trailers and bits of nerdy content across the internet that we can talk about. And here to discuss it, it's his turn and making a long-awaited return after a very, very long hiatus. It's Andrew. Welcome back. Thank you. It's very nice to be back again. I discovered that travelling the multiverse as a being of pure energy is actually only interesting for so long, and I decided that that my true calling was merely sitting in front of a microphone talking about random nerdy things. It's something we all have to come to realise eventually. We all get there. Yes, it's just a case of how long it takes you. You can call it your gap year, I suppose. It's not even a year, but it feels like it, I suppose. It feels like a decade, never mind a year. I don't know what the last one you were on actually was. I honestly can't even remember, actually. Probably an Arrowverse one, surely. Maybe something later than that, I'm not sure. Possibly the Legends one, or the Crisis one. No, Crisis was way early in the year. In 2020. That's how screwed my perception of time is right now. I could look back and find out right now, but I'd rather just sit here and not know about it, and then that would be exactly what yeah. it is. <laughs> it's, like a mysterious yeah. mystery to keep held in the back of your mind. There'll be a no prize for any listener that goes back and can tell us when Andrew was last <laughs> on before this appearance. It's a no prize because we have no budget. If it works for Marvel, it works for us. Okay, before we get into our content stuff, let's talk a bit about what we've been watching and what we might have to plug. So what's been on your... Screen, your tablet screen, laptop screen, TV screen, recently? Well, recently, a lot of my screen experiences have been various animated series on Disney+, Plus because that's pretty much where my headspace is right now, and it's wonderful for maintaining sanity. The main one I've been re-watching is Gravity Falls, which is one of my most favourite series of anything ever, which is about a pair of twins who spend the summer with their great-uncle in a small town. Though it turns out that there are various supernatural shenanigans going on, which they continually investigate and end up discovering these hidden secrets that have massive consequences for everyone involved and possibly the, the entire world. It's a really fun series. It's really entertaining. It's really imaginative. It's really funny and there is absolutely no spite to it whatsoever it's just something which i try to recommend to people whenever i remember to because i genuinely think they would enjoy it is that a new thing not very new there were only two seasons of it and it finished a few years ago but it's just since then i've rewatched it maybe four or five times and it's one that i'm into at the moment and another one is the owl house which is about this girl who ends up stumbling through a portal into fantasy world. Um, as far as she's concerned, is the greatest thing ever because she's a complete fantasy nerd and 
has dreams of being a witch and ends up living with a witch slash legendary wanted criminal who starts teaching her magic while at the same time she explores the island that she's found herself in and come across uh, all kinds of weird and wonderful weirdness. So a couple of animated things to recommend. Have you been watching The Bad Batch? I haven't. So I just wanted to hear if someone had. I have actually. I've actually been quite enjoying it. I'm always interested in additions to the Star Wars canon that take place out with the time frame of the films. And the very beginning of the series is right when Revenge of the Sith ends. It pretty much kicks off with Order 66 being implemented. It's become the Normandy beach landings of the Star Wars universe a bit, hasn't it? Oh, so yes. This event that took place over, what, a day... And if you add up all the content that features it, it lasts about six weeks. And the Bad Batch have kind of ended up as mercenaries rather than soldiers, because in this new galaxy ruled by the Empire, there's no place for them anymore. And they also encounter this mysterious young girl named Omega, who is very, very important for reasons which are not immediately made clear. But she's a Jedi. <laughs> I'm guessing. Actually, no. Oh, right, okay. I'm shocked. I'm genuinely shocked. It was actually brought up in, in the most recent episode, why she's so valuable to everyone. And it does tie in with quite a lot, and it's going to be quite interesting to see where they take that. I do intend to give it a watch. You were on the Clone Wars finale podcast where we discussed... Maybe that was it. Maybe that was the last one you were on. I was just going to say, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. There's some options. We discussed how, or certainly I discussed, I don't remember what your opinion was, that the Bad Batch episodes were kind of dull on that show and then I remember seeing the trailer for The Bad Batch discussed it I believe with Isaac on a news roundup a couple of months ago before it started and quite impressed with it from there I just haven't watched it in the in the way of everything I just don't watch things I sit there and think about watching them and then end up watching someone playing Resident Evil speedruns on mm-hmm. Twitch and end up watching nothing of substance <laughs> and so that's where my head is at I suppose but no, I do intend to watch it. Um, I want to give it a go at the very least and see how it goes. So, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. You're in a very animated space. Other than the Arrowverse shows, which we've talked about offline, that you've been watching. Yeah, that's pretty much where I am. Just relatively straightforward, easy watching, because that's what I need to remain sane right now. Comics and cartoons. Precisely. It's a winning combination. And do you have any of your external work outside of this podcast that you'd like to plug? While we're here. Frustratingly, I don't actually, as my actual writing has been very, very sporadic of late and haven't done very much for quite a long time for various reasons. So, yeah, nothing actually. Sorry, sorry for the boring answer. That's okay. I will make up for it with all the stuff I'm talking. <laughs> so, in terms of my viewing, it's not really been much different. Well, Batwoman's now finished as of time of recording. I was watching that. Legends of Tomorrow, The Flash. Superman and Lois, Supergirl, which currently isn't on, Loki, which I'm reviewing, that's about it. So just been kind of keeping myself going with my normal run of TV shows and not really been picking up a lot else. I've been to the cinema three whole times. I saw A Quiet Place 2, which I thought was okay. I saw In the Heights, which I also thought was okay but didn't bother reviewing it. And I saw Fast and Furious 9, or F9, press F9 to play F9. I didn't enjoy it. I'm not a fan of that franchise. It's just not for me. It's one of those Marmite franchises, isn't it? People either love it or they just don't engage with it at all. And I'm one of the people that don't engage with it at all. My big problem is Vin Diesel. I find him to be a complete drain. I just find that he sucks the energy out of the room when he's in a scene. I 
can't be engaged in the action sequences because nobody is ever in any danger. Nobody dies. Everybody's brought back as a surprise. So it's what it is. Some of the action's pretty cool. They go to space. How do you top that? You don't. What's next? It's just not for me. Vin Diesel and John Cena being blood brothers. Not buying it. (laughs) They waste John Cena as well. He's better when he's funny as we'll talk about in one of these trailers today, but if you look up and say Bumblebee or something like Blockers, he's hilarious. He's very good with comic timing. But here he's a stoic, tough guy. And that's boring. And that's not his strength at all. He's a funny, tough guy. For me, that's his niche. Exactly, yeah. Because he's a very, very charismatic performer, but if he's not given the material to allow him to realise that, then he's basically just some guy to stand there and look muscular. I wonder if after the debacle with The Rock... Vin Diesel's standing order now is no one can out-charisma me in a scene, (laughs) which means that no one else in a scene is allowed to have any charisma, because he has none. (laughs) Well, to be honest, with that whole franchise, right from the very beginning, I was was always fairly indifferent to them. Though, I started to enjoy them a little more when I stopped trying to take them seriously. You mean you started trying to take them seriously? That was your first mistake. Clearly. So now I can just let them wash over me as utterly preposterous, hyperkinetic nonsense. And I do actually enjoy them a little. Yeah, I think there's a definite appeal there, and I understand why people like them. I just don't. And there's a lot of weirdness associated with it, and it's well documented how odd Vin Diesel is outside of the films and the background of the production and all that stuff. In the film, his child, Dom Toretto's son, is called Brian. But in that universe, Brian is alive. Exactly, yes. The Paul Walker character hasn't been killed off in universe, so that'd be me like calling my son Andrew Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> Why have you done that? Why have you named your son after me? That's a little weird. <laughs> it is what it is, I suppose. If you love Fast and Furious, it'll probably resonate with you. Although, judging by some of the other reviews, it seems like it's not resonating with fans of the franchise, so what do I know? But if you don't like it, it's not going to change your mind. That's about the size of it. And that's okay. Yeah, I don't want them to make films just for me. At least not publicly. Privately, I'm like, yeah. Make films only for me, please. Nobody else. In terms of plugging, I have a few things. I've been doing a lot of interviews recently. It's been really nice interviewing people that have been in Arrowverse shows, that have not been in Arrowverse shows. Basically, any interview gets thrown my way, I say yes, whether I've heard of them or not. I've done some really good ones. Some people that have not been in things that I've, I've seen, but have been great to talk to. Recently gone up. Actually, today, as of recording, is my interview with the actress who played the sheriff in Smallville among many other things that she's done. The actor who played Chief Tyrol in Battlestar Galactica, that went up recently. So check them out. They're all on the website, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening to this, you'll know where to get your podcasts. They're there. Just you know, scroll down and you'll find them. So that's been fun. It's been fun. I've been doing all the reviewing of TV shows as well. So been busy. Giving myself too much work to do, as usual. Yeah, well, it's encouraging to see that even though I've been away for quite some time. Some things are still the same. (laughs) The more things change, the more they stay the same. Exactly. Let's get on to some trailers then. It's time to talk some trailers. We've got quite a few this month. It's been pretty full on, trailer-wise. So let's just start with Marvel. Funnily enough, last time talked about the first trailer for Shang-Chi. We're now on to the second already. So Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings has a second trailer. This one seems to be more of the Marvel-y trailer. It's got a lot more bright lights and beams firing back and forth and posturing about 
various things. And I still think it looks good. You have the Abomination turning up at the end, fighting what looks to be Wong in a cage fight somewhere. The Incredible Hulk may not be canon to some people, but they keep just bringing in little elements of that film. The Abomination has a bit more of a comic book look. I like the look of the film. I'll be interested to see how they do a kind of Hong Kong action flick in the MCU. It'll be like when they said that Captain America and the Winter Soldier, Captain America and the Winter Soldier is a political thriller and it's not. It'll be like that when they say that this is the genre we're playing with this film and it's kind of, but not. But I'm looking forward to seeing like martial arts and stuff anyway, just to see how they do that. I'm looking forward to it. It looks good. I'm pretty much with you on that. It's going to be quite interesting one to watch because the character isn't one that I am overly familiar with. So having this as an introduction, I imagine, would be quite spectacular. And also because I won't have any preconceived expectations as to what the film or the character should be. The one interesting change is having Shang-Chi's father be the Mandarin, whereas in the comics his father was actually Fu Manchu. But with that character being horrifically racist, to put it bluntly... Unlike the Mandarin. <laughs> indeed, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think they made the right choice to make that change. Yeah, it ties it up, doesn't it? It gives him that whole has to go and prove himself to his father and then fights his father, I presume. And then the change in the rings to be bigger things that wrap around the arm rather than actual rings that they wear on a finger, it's fine. And it stops you getting into, that's a bit like the Infinity Stones territory, even though people will say it is a bit like the Infinity Stones. But it's an acceptable change. Yeah, the rings all seems to be sort of working in unison to do the same thing, to provide this augmentation of physical ability and channeling non-specific magical energy. Whereas the Rings of the Comics each had a single very particular capability that was different from all the others. One had fire energy, one had ice energy, electrical power, some void darkness and things I can't quite recall specifically. I think having them all the same, or what seems to be all, all the same, just going by what the trailer has shown us, then, then I think that will streamline their usage and stop the mythology behind them from getting too complicated. Yeah, unless they have that point where, now I'm just going to sit and explain to you exactly what these ten rings do. So this one, this one's the fire ring. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Or you'll have a clumsy prologue where it's a million years ago, a alien spaceship oh, crashed God, on Earth, and powering it were ten rings. <laughs> could happen. Could happen. That's exactly what I'm saying. Don't because I, I know it could. <laughs> but we'll see in September. I assume it's coming out in September. All going well. All going well. Being operative term. We'll see how that pans out. Indeed. Next trailer is Halloween Kills. It's the sequel to the last Halloween movie, which was called Halloween, which is a sequel to the original Halloween that ignores all the sequels and reboots in between. And it also ignores that string of sequels that ignored the previous string of sequels. The Halloween franchise is a bit of a mess <laughs> if you're trying to follow it a little bit. I suppose if you're following this iteration, it's fine. There's only three movies. Was the last one not following on from Halloween 2? No, it was just the first one because they did that bit where people were speculating that she was his sister and that's oh, nonsense. Yeah, 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 I forgot that. So it only follows on from the first one. So at some point they capture him, even though at the end of the first one he escaped. Yeah, because he was shot, falls out the window off the ground when Loomis shoots him and then just disappears. And then we get some like, eerie shots of Haddonfield looking all empty and desolate where he could be this evil stalking from every shadow. And then that's it. I thought the last one was okay. I uh, quite liked it in terms of the franchise. We're doing a new sequel to the original type thing. It was okay. This one looks a bit standard fare in terms of the Halloween 
stuff. You've got Michael Myers going around killing people. There's some chat about the mythology around him in the trailer, which I'm not sure about. I think it might just be that he's an urban legend rather than an actual supernatural legend, but who knows? They might bring in some supernatural elements. And again, that depends which continuity you follow. Because on, on one hand, he's basically either just the physical embodiment of pure evil, or he is the victim of this pagan druid cult who infects him with the blind rage, compelling him to kill members of his family until none left, and at which point the anger consuming him will completely destroy him. Which all makes perfect sense! Or he's just a big guy that likes to stab people. Maybe it's just that. I really think it's being overcomplicated. Because that's the whole point of Michael, is is that there doesn't need to be a reason for what he does. He kills people because that is what he is. That is what he does. And any delving into the specifics of why beyond that is really surplus to requirements. Which does make sequels a bit redundant, doesn't it? Because it's just, again, he wreaks havoc on people who may or may not have been in the previous film. Jamie Lee Curtis might die in this one, we don't know. Again? For the, yeah, how many people can say they've died in multiple continuities of the same franchise? Oh, God. Maybe we could go into the Myers-verse. Maybe that's what's coming. All these Michael Myerses meeting up. Well, that would be a mess. It would be a complete mess, but it would be fun. So what did you think of this trailer? I just thought it was kind of standard. It looks fine. I'll see it. Can I tell you much more than what I had already assumed the film was going to be like? Though I did think that it did seem to be showing a great deal of events from quite far on in the film. Like those shots of all the townspeople banding together to hunt down Michael, like like they're a mob of pitchfork-wielding peasants storming Dracula's castle. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that wouldn't happen until the story's third act. So to include that as part of the trailer would suggest to me that there really isn't a great deal of story to be had. Yeah, it's just a big guy stabbing people. Yeah, and also stabbing absolutely everyone as well. In the first film, he kills, what, four, five people? Yeah, it's not that many. I mean, this one killed that many like in the space of 90 seconds. Yeah, he killed quite a few people in the last one as well. But we'll see. I'm sure it will be a good enough version of what it is, depending on what you're looking for. Yeah. Next trailer is something a little bit more wholesome, Jungle Cruise. It's another Disney turns a ride into a film. It has the rock in it. It looks a bit Jumanji-ish. Emily Blunt as well. They're running around. They're in peril. They're in a jungle. They're on water. It looks all right. I think that this one looks a hell of a lot of fun. It seems to be a kind of throwback to the kind of adventure movies from the 50s that very rarely get made anymore, which is a shame because I think stories like that are great fun. You can pretty much rely on The Rock to deliver in practically anything that he does. You can rely on The Rock to be The Rock, and you'll get The Rock you, every time. Oh, yes. And I do really like Emily Blunt as an actress. I think she can do great in it. The thing that the trailer put me mostly in mind of was a film called The African Queen. Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn from sometime in the 1950s, which I had a similar kind of idea of a very prim and proper lady being escorted up a jungle river by a rugged riverboat captain as they escape from dangers pursuing them. Though obviously that's going to be a hell of a lot more bombastic and I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it looks like a ride, right? That's what it's based on, isn't it? It's a Disney ride called Jungle Cruise, and they've turned out in a film. So, yeah, I'm sure it'll be perfectly fun. It'll be one of those, not the deepest thing in the world, but it's designed to just be enjoyable in its own right. And there's room for that, for sure. Absolutely. Why not? Let's have some fun when we go to the movies. 
a roller coaster, you know, that kind of situation. Yeah, because that's the thing. Do you ever remember going to cinema with the expectation of merely being entertained and nothing else? Almost every time. But yeah, it doesn't always happen. Next up, we're going to stick on The Rock. There is a teaser. I stress it is a teaser. It is not anything. But it's DC's League of Super Pets, which is Crypto the Superdog and Ace the Bathound and so on. And The Rock is voicing Crypto the Superdog. And Ace the Bathound is Kevin Hart. None of the other cast have been attributed to characters, but you have Keanu Reeves, Kate McKinnon, Vanessa Bayer, John Krasinski, Diego Luna, Natasha Leon. It's quite a cast for an animated film and I'm here for it. I think it will be fun and I already want to see The Rock's Black Adam fight The Rock's Crypto the Superdog. See who would win. <laughs> yeah, that would be a lot of fun. It's the matchup we want to see, <laughs> except no substitutes. Oh, God. There's not really a whole hell of a lot to say about it because, as I said, like not even teaser, just a thing that says this film is going to exist because they won't have anything to show yet because they've barely finished casting it, never mind animated anything. Yeah, although they're maybe further along in the animation process than you might think, just depending on how these things work, because they can apply the voices much later on when they need to. But I don't know. It's coming and it's a thing that's happening and it'll be very tongue-in-cheek and I suppose it's one of those things where do you want to make a film about Superman's dog? Like, yeah, sure. Oh, who can play the dog? Who would be the most ridiculous casting we could have for Superman's dog? The Rock? Yeah, cool. Meeting over. Adjourned. We'll figure it out later. I'm sure there was a cartoon before that focused on crypto and had like Ace the Bat-Hound and stuff in it. I can't remember seeing much of it, but I do remember seeing Probably, it existing. Yeah. But yeah, it's happening, so that's cool. Not a lot to say. I'll watch it. I'll enjoy it, probably. And yeah, fun cast. wonder who Keanu Reeves is voicing. I think that is something that will either be kept a mystery until the film itself, or it will be something that will be revealed in the final moment of the final trailer. He'll be the villain or something. I don't know. He'll be the villain in this thing. Zod's dog. <laughs> Darkseid's dog. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Doomsday's goldfish. Next trailer, we've got Reminiscence, or as I like to call it, Inception meets Waterworld. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. The Earth is drowned, or at least partially drowned. People are going into their memories, and that's about it. They're seeking happiness through memories. There's a big market for memories. There's something sinister going on. Hugh Jackman's in it. It does have a real Inception vibe, although, I don't know, maybe it's doing something more interesting with the whole memory dream side of things the inception is based on how nutty it seems to get in the trailer in terms of just how the memories work and the memory space seems to work whereas inception of course you had a city overturning and whatever but the whole point is we have to make this look as normal as possible otherwise our subject won't be tricked anymore because they'll realize it's a dream whereas doesn't seem to be much of a problem here so i quite like that so i'm, I'm looking forward to that i'm always going to watch Hugh jackman in something and this looks pretty cool yeah i quite like the whole people disappearing into their memories angle of the story or other people's memories as it seems as well yeah and i'm guessing that a major theme will be the differentiation between memory and reality which i think was actually pretty much explicitly stated at one point in the trailer also water the earth's underwater that's important for some reason yeah well i'm actually not so sure about that because it seems to me like the whole drowned world thing was really just a setup to give a reason of why people are spending all their time reliving the past instead of trying to exist in the present or build a future yeah it's a really elaborate excuse just to enable this premise if that's all it is exactly and if that's the case then i'm just really not convinced how necessary 
that would actually be. Yeah, why are people reliving other people's memories and stuff? I don't know. They just are. The technology exists and they're doing it. That's why it's happening. There was a film from the mid-90s called Strange Days, which had Ralph Fiennes and Angela Bassett. The premise of that was that people's memories could be recorded as digital data, and then there's this whole underground black market of people buying and selling the memories of other people. And as I say, it was just a thing that people did because they could, because the technology existed to allow it, and it didn't actually require a greater reason. In fact, the people did it because the voyeuristic desire to view the lives of other people is something that has been pretty well established in the pop culture of the last 30 years or so. And so the desire to do that isn't something that needs an elaborate justification. Yeah, although the trailer doesn't necessarily point out why it's necessary for the world to be half-drowned, but maybe it will be important in the actual film itself. I just felt that because the trailer didn't mention it, it just had that as background detail, then that to be suggested that it wasn't important. And maybe it won't be. We shall see. It's out at some point. I can't remember when, because I'm bad at my job and didn't look it up. And next up, Candyman. Jordan Peele's Candyman. That's a Candyman reboot. I don't really remember the original Candyman a bit. I remember the whole say his name in front of the mirror five times and he'll appear. The whole Bloody Mary type situation. It looks... Okay, as a horror film, it does that thing that horror trailers do and that try and create an atmosphere through the whole, oh, this is really eerie and we don't know what's going to happen and there he is and whatever. But I don't know, I'm not enthusiastic about it based on this trailer, but I'm also not completely turned off by it based on this trailer. I think it looks fine. I'm actually feeling a bit more optimistic about it. Although, first off, I feel compelled to specify that it isn't Naya DaCosta's Candyman rather than Jordan Peele's. Yeah, but he's involved in the production side of it. His name is on it somewhere. Yeah, just his name's a bit classed all over the marketing because his is the name that people are going to be more familiar with. I just think that does a disservice to the woman who actually directed the film. Yeah, it does. The Jordan Peele name, I'll admit, is the one that's jumped out at me when I was watching the trailer earlier today. For the second time, I watched all these trailers twice before coming on here because I'm not as bad at my job as I said I was a minute ago. Because you're a consummate professional. Yes, um, I am. Sometimes. But yes, you're right. The director is important and it does look like it's tying into race issues and things like that as part of its narrative and how the whole Candyman legend feeds into that is unclear at this point. But yeah, it looks fine. I'm not excited, but I'm not dreading it, I suppose. Somewhere in between. I have seen the original film quite a few times. It is actually one of my favourites. Though I did actually get an oh god, I'm ancient moment quite recently when a young woman I was chatting to about horror films. She actually referenced Candyman as a really old film. <laughs> that's a really old film from 1992. Yeah, well, for some people that's before they were born, I suppose. <laughs> I just, yeah. It was like that bit in Civil War when Peter Parker calls The Emperor Strikes Back a really old film. Yeah, or in Infinity War when he says Aliens is a really old movie. Which it is. I'm quite interested to see how this new story is going to tie into everything that happened in the original one. And I think the suggested racial element, which seems like it'll be quite more prominent, will only add to things because it'll give a better perspective to work from. And I think because contemporary cinema is dealing with racial issues a lot more head-on than it it has in the past, then I think this will be another good example of that. So is this an actual sequel to the original Candyman, or is it a reboot, well, a remake, or is it a re-something? Has it got nothing to do with it, or does it have something to do with it? It is a sequel to the original film. It's been stated a lot in media, but I'm not 
sure if it, this has actually been officially confirmed or not, but the main character, I always forget the guy's name, it's really bad. I think the implication is that he was the baby from the original film who Helen saves from being burned to death in, in the pyro right at the film's climax. But as I said, I'm not sure if that has been officially confirmed or not, but it's certainly a good angle to approach from because that would effectively make him a part of the legend of Candyman for his entire life. And there's a possibility that him returning to the housing estate wasn't something that he himself decided on, on a whim or for his art project, but it was perhaps something that on a subconscious level he felt compelled to do. So is Tony Todd back? That's a bit unclear. I think he, he may be providing the Candyman's voice. That's all he needs. Because his voice is pretty spectacular. It surely is. Gotta love Tony Todd. Okay, so you're excited about that. I am slightly indifferent. That's fine. It's going to happen. We have another trailer for The Suicide Squad, the James Gunn kind of sequel to the other Suicide Squad film, and hopefully it'll be good. This trailer, I like this trailer. As I say, John Cena's funny in it, where he talks about starfish and what alternative meaning that <laughs> might have. Also, I couldn't help but notice that Idris Elba's character's backstory is essentially the same as Will Smith's yeah, backstory. Yeah, I picked up on that the other too. One. Yes, though, I'm just kind of just going to quietly ignore that. Because <laughs> it comes with a set of uncomfortable implications that I'm sure nobody really wants to go into. Yeah, we've just swapped out one black guy for another yeah. black guy and given him the same backstory. But this time he puts Superman in the intensive care unit, which is annoying people for some reason. If you shoot Superman with a kryptonite bullet, there's a good chance he's going to end up in hospital. I'm okay with that. Yeah, and it's a fairly efficient way of establishing that he is a killer who evidently researches his targets and the best ways of dealing with them. Yeah, although when did it happen is the question. And what universe are we in <laughs> within the DC, whatever it is, whatever the franchise is called now? I know that James Gunn said... It's not his problem who that Superman is. That's someone else's problem for later on. Which I think is a perfect answer to that question. Is it Henry Cavill? Is it someone else? He's like, I don't know. It's just Superman. It will answer it at some point, maybe. Or maybe not. I don't care. Yeah, I think that's quite a good attitude to take towards it. Because why needlessly complicate something when it might end up needing retcon anyway, depending on what they do in the future. Yeah, I mean, if this is good, they'll continue along these lines. But it seems that DC are just keeping their individual projects as their individual projects and then not worrying about how they connect or will at some point. We just don't know. But it looks good. It does look pretty good. It looks pretty funny. I like the characters that they've chosen. They're very niche in some cases, and it probably means that a good chunk of them are going to die. Yeah, I think that's pretty much a given. I would imagine that that is precisely why Gunn chose them. Because they're so niche and so obscure and so unfamiliar to 90% of the people who'll be seeing the film. And it won't scupper anyone's plans for the future if they're summarily killed, because they were unlikely to be used anyway. Yeah, I think Idris Elba and Harley Quinn are quite safe. I can't remember Idris Elba's character's name, so I just keep calling him Idris Elba. Bloodsport. Bloodsport, that's it. So it's, yeah, it's not the same as Deadshot, it's not the same as Bloodshot, it's... Bloodshot, it's Vin Diesel. It's no, not that's really that. not. But <laughs> that was, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so I reckon he's safe. I reckon Harley Quinn is safe. And maybe John Cena, the TV series that they're planning for him as well. And I also think that it would likely be decided that Peacemaker is, is too entertaining a character to kill off. We'll see, it's not that far away. And that's going to be in cinemas and on HBO Max for those that are too afraid to go to the cinema. So that's fine. Good call, Warner Brothers, maybe. People watch it. Snake Eyes, 
G.I. Joe origin snake eyes, whatever it's called. It must be a reboot of the G.I. Joe films that we've already had, which I like. I like both of them. And I prefer the first one. I don't think a lot of people would say that, but I do. I prefer the first one. I think it's more silly and fun and I enjoy it. I like the second one too, that has The Rock. This looks really good. It's fun. Henry Golding looks like a good choice for the role of Snake Eyes. I recently interviewed someone that's in this film for a couple of scenes and appears in the trailer. He's the guy that's lifting Henry Golding's arm, being like, look at this, it's guy one, well done. I interviewed him recently and that might be up by the time this podcast is out. Might not be, but keep an eye out for it if it's not. I like the look of it. The action looks fun. It looks like the story will be a good version of what it is. I think the G.I. Joe franchise has a lot of potential as well. I don't know if they're planning to the Avengers of the G.I. Joe franchise eventually or just Snake Eyes is just something they've had rolling around for a while and thought might as well make this. I do think it looks like quite a good film in and of itself. I don't have a great deal of emotional investment in the G.I. Joe franchise, both the film and, and all the car series and toy lines and whatnot. This because they, they weren't as big a part of my childhood as, as were for many other people. But I liked how the story of it was incorporating aspects of the universe, like the mention of Cobra, and then characters like the Baroness and, and Scarlet turning up. And also on that note, I think Samara Weaving as Scarlet is incredible casting, and that will be brilliant. Rachel Nichols was good, though. She was, yes, for what she was given to do with it. But I think it will largely exist as its own standalone story that can be applied or retrofitted into G.I. Joe series as you see fit. And I think that there won't be a great deal of overt foreshadowing or references to events and characters that might appear or might not, depending on where they take the series. I think it looks like it's going to be a really good film and I'm quite looking forward to it. Yeah, I love the other two, as I said, especially the first one. I think the ensemble nature of the first one works so much better than the second one, which is The Rock and some other people. But the first one, just Channing Tatum before he was huge as well, you know, before he was a huge actor, he was just kind of part of that ensemble. And it's really weird when you think about it in that way. Well, he was the lead, but it was also an ensemble piece. And the Snake Eyes in those films, played by Ray Park, and he doesn't speak, was pretty good. And... Obviously, the first film, well, maybe not obviously, but the films do explain that backstory that he has and the vow of silence and all that stuff. But I do love the explanation that the film gives you early on. And I'd have been happy with it, where it's, he doesn't speak. Why not? He doesn't say. <laughs> Great answer. The perfect explanation. I always like these non-explanations that tell you that something happened but doesn't tell you what happened and leaves you to imagine it. The Klingons, for example, I always bring this one up in Star Trek in the Deep Space Nine episode where they go back in time to the original series era and people ask Worf, what's the deal with the Klingons? And he's like, we don't discuss it with outsiders. That's it. That's your explanation. You don't need another one. I'm guessing the vow of silence won't be in this version of the character. I don't know much about the actual G.I. Joe franchise, the cartoons and stuff. I didn't watch them when I was younger. They were sort of before my time in terms of when they were on. The same year as Transformers, I wasn't into Transformers as a kid. So my entry to the franchise was the first film. I was aware of it before and I was aware of the PSA side of it and whatever else, but my first entry to the details of it were that first film, which isn't that faithful, I'm led to believe, but it doesn't matter. So I understand that Snake Eyes is quite talkative in the cartoon. So the vow of silence was for the films because I guess Ray Park can't act when he talks. Or perhaps the producers don't like his accent. In which case, they could have got somebody to voice him. But I'm sure Henry Golding will be doing a lot of talking in this film. And then if it's successful, I imagine it will build into maybe a more ensembleized piece of the franchise or they'll do other characters' origin stories. I guess they're waiting to see how this does. I mean, it's been sitting on the shelf for like two years, pretty much. 
or for a year. It was supposed to come out like four times last year or something like that, and now it's finally coming out. Honestly, I've stopped trying to keep track of when things were supposed to be out and just looking toward when they actually will be, because it just got too exhausting. It's a good philosophy. We finally got New Mutants. That was all we wanted. We finally tracked the release date and we finally got it. Whether we should have got it or not is another story. I liked it. Anyway, (laughs) our next trailer is probably not really in the nerdy realm, but I liked it anyway. It's Tick, Tick, Boom. Andrew Garfield singing. Lin-Manuel Miranda has written some songs. It's a Netflix thing. It's a weird off-the-wall musical. Andrew Garfield sings. I didn't know he could. Apparently neither did he. (laughs) He just winged it and got into this film. And I think it looks pretty good. I love the way the trailer plays with the ticking sound. I love the way it builds and builds and builds. It just looks good. I like the look of it. And Andrew Garfield seems to have suspicious Peter Parker-type hair in this film. I wonder if that's an indicator of something we might be getting in the near future. It would be nice to think so. Oh, I'm well aware that that may be reading a little too much into it. Yes. I'm literally looking at his haircut and thinking, that must be Spider-Man hair. (laughs) It doesn't necessarily mean that. But I know he likes to change his look a lot. If you look at him from film to film, he doesn't really look the same very often. When you see him in publicity, well, not publicity, when you just see him out and about, he's usually sporting full caveman, big mullet and beard and whatever. But it looks good. This film looks good. I'll enjoy a musical, so I'm hoping I'll enjoy this one. Yeah, I'm kind of same. I did a little reading behind it, and it is apparently a semi-autobiographical tale of Jonathan Larson, who's the guy most famous for writing the musical Rent. And this is effectively about his life as a struggling creative in a very destitute yet bohemian version of 80s New York. One thing I did pick up on was that there were a lot of references in the trailer about time and making the most of the time that you have, which is actually quite poignant because Larson actually died quite tragically and far too young. And I suspect that the film will at least in part be a way of honouring his life and achievement. And it'll have a sad ending, so get the tissues if you're so inclined to be moved by such things. Okay, so it looks good. Be on Netflix at some point. Andrew Garfield, I always enjoy him in things when I watch them. That he's in. I haven't seen a lot that he's been in, but I've always enjoyed him. He is my favourite live-action Peter Parker. Well, favourite live-action Spider-Man, I think, is Peter Parker's a bit of a douche, but that's another story. But no, he's my favourite of the three actors that have portrayed Spider-Man, and I think that he should have had more and had better. He was the right guy at the wrong time. Yeah, I know what you mean. Which is a shame. Forever a lost opportunity. Unless we get <laughs> what we're looking for in December. Next up, we have Ryan Reynolds in a film where he plays a video game character that becomes self-aware. It's called Free Guy. It's some kind of multiplayer situation that he's in. He's an NPC. He gets given self-awareness and he goes to save the servers from certain doom somehow. Looks like a lot of fun. Ryan Reynolds probably not taxing himself in terms of what he usually plays. It's that Deadpool persona again, isn't it? It's pretty much that. But it looks good. It looks like it'll be watchable. It looks like it'll be good fun. Bit Wreck-It Ralph-ish, in a way. But with Deadpool, kind of. Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> looks alright. I dig it. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And just going back to the topic of films being constantly delayed, this one has had at least two other release dates that it got pushed back from. Which I was actually quite annoyed about because I've been really looking forward to this for, for quite a long time. Yeah, I do remember talking about it on an earlier podcast, kind of at the start of 2020, as something that was coming out pretty soon, before we knew that the world was going to go to hell in a handbasket. 
it was one of those, oh, yeah, this is out in a couple of months and I'm quite looking forward to it. And then, well, we all know what happened. Yeah, and there is a personal theory of mine with the idea of video game movies. I always think that the best video game movies are ones which aren't direct adaptations of a game, but they take the aesthetics and feel of games and apply them to to their own story. I was like specifically thinking of films like Scott Pilgrim, which is like a 90s beat-em-up game in, in video form, or Death Race, the Jason Statham remake of Death Race 2000. Imagining that as a combination of a racing and combat game, where the cars literally drive over power-ups on the track to give them weapons and armour. And in between races, any, any resources that you have are spent repairing and upgrading the vehicle. And the whole thing is tied together by a fairly simplistic, nebulous, and ultimately irrelevant plot. Or Wreck-It Ralph, which plays around with video games, but isn't a direct adaptation of anything. And also Jumanji, because apparently we can't go ten minutes this podcast without bringing up The Rock. <laughs> yeah, it's just Mark the Timer. Yeah, there's that. Or Edge of Tomorrow, actually. Yes. In a way, is very video game focused. I mean, I suppose any time loop thing is, but Edge of Tomorrow is specifically about we have to master this scenario to beat it, and it's that endless repetition of this time I'll do it, Save this time I'll do reload. It. And then there's a film that I haven't seen yet with Frank Grillo in it. Boss level. Yes, that's the one. That even has a video game inspired title, and that's about him just getting a little further each time, isn't it? Based on the trailer, yeah. Anyway. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I've not seen it yet. Well, basically, um, after this massive irrelevant tangent, it looks like Free Guy is another one in that style. It's not a direct game adaptation, but it contains a, a lot of game aesthetics, and those generally turn out pretty well. Yeah, and it's an impressively layered title as well. Free Guy as in he's free, and Free Guy as in extra life. It's not many layers, it's a couple. Next trailer, Ron's Gone Wrong, which is a 20th century studios film, which makes it a Disney film, actually. Disney animated film. It's about a kid that gets a robot, but he seems to get a defective one, and it's about the love something for its flaws, or in spite of its flaws, or people are people because of their flaws, seems to be the overriding message there. I mean, in reality, if you buy a defective piece of technology, take it back, but I guess the message of it will be he has to learn to love this thing even though it's not functioning exactly as it should which is a nice positive message for kids the idea of you will encounter things in your life that aren't quote-unquote perfect but that doesn't make them any less valuable and i think it looks pretty fun as an animated film so yeah i think it looks good this was actually one that had managed to completely slip by me same (laughs) this is the first i actually came across it was when you sent me the list of links to watch for this. I was like, okay, what's that? I have not heard of this before. And yeah, I agree with you with what seems to be its general themes and the messages that it will be giving to the young children it's aimed at. I also think that it's going to look at different ways of communication. The idea of these robots is to give children companions, someone that they have to talk to, and someone that they can share themselves with. Then I think it's going to suggest that just because somebody doesn't communicate in the way that you want them to or you expect them to, that doesn't make them any less worthwhile trying to get to know. It reminded me a bit of another animated movie we came out quite recently, The Mitchells versus The Machines. Yeah, I've not seen that yet, but I've heard sweepingly good things. I really I thought it was, it was really good. It's that same kind of idea that people communicate with each other in different ways. And if you don't just immediately disregard someone because they aren't saying the kind of things that you want to hear, then you may well end up learning more about them than you expected. So we're both amped for this. Cool. 20th Century Studios, technically Disney. Hopefully it will be of the quality you would expect from Disney animation rather than the patchy quality of 
20th Century Studios animation. I'm hopeful. Certainly the trailer conducts itself very well, so we'll see. Next trailer, far less cheery, Demonic. Neil Blomkamp horror movie. Looks pretty cool. I like Neil Blomkamp stuff. I always love it when he gets his teeth into an original project, Elysium notwithstanding. <laughs> Lots of people hated Chappie. I loved it. I thought it was so good. Seeing him turn his hand to horror that is an alien, I suppose, because that was never getting made. Looks quite cool. I'm really excited for this one. Based on this, it looks really creepy, really off the wall, really interesting in terms of what it's getting at and the setup and the general situation. I think it looks pretty cool. Yeah, I think pretty much the same about it. It looks like a really interesting concept. And as you say, Neil Blomkamp is someone who you can generally rely on to deliver compelling ideas in visual spectacle that isn't completely overblown. And I've got pretty high hopes that he will manage to do the same here. Yeah, and one that I don't have quite so high hopes for, old M. Night Shyamalan movie, where people go to a beach and they age weirdly. There's a CGI pregnancy that looks pretty awful (laughs) and all that stuff. What do you think the twist is? Because that's what I was thinking about throughout the trailer. I don't know, do they all have Alzheimer's? And they only think they're aging when they're actually going to this beach years apart. I don't think it's that because you see a lot of creepy rapid aging imagery and stuff in the trailer. I'm not that excited about it, but I just try to wonder what the twist is. To be honest, I haven't actually even been trying to second guess it. Just just because I am completely over Shyamalan as a filmmaker, having for years. I know a lot of people liked Split a hell of a lot more than I did, but... Personally, I'm of the opinion that he's never really topped Unbreakable. I stopped regarding The Sixth Sense so highly when I thought about it long enough to realise that nothing happens in the film actually holds together. (laughs) And pretty much anything that he has churned out for the last 20 years, I have either been completely indifferent to, with the likes of The Happening or Lady in the Water, or or in case of his live-action remake of The Last Airbender, I absolutely despised. You mean After Earth isn't your favourite film of all time? The only interesting thing about After Earth was the unintentionally meta-fictional hilarity of Jaden Smith playing a character who is only in the position that he was because of who his father is, and where not for him nobody (laughs) would care anything about him, or or even be aware of who he is at all. My main issue with old is it's an intriguing concept but it doesn't seem much more than that i'm not entirely sure how they're actually going to go about making an actual story out of this yeah the aging effect and the very truncated time limit that the characters will have to actually find a way off is going to be interesting to watch up to a point but i'm just not sure exactly what film is going to have to say probably nothing yeah but without anything deeper to look into it just seemed to me to be a half decent idea but not much more than that. Pretty much sums up his filmography, doesn't it? He had an idea and then... Yeah. That was it. What if aliens are weak to water? Okay, but why are they here? Uh, not important. Don't need to answer that. Here's Mel Gibson staring blankly for two hours. Yes, and here is Wacking Phoenix in a tinfoil hat because hilarity. Yeah, I liked Split a lot. I thought Split was really good. I didn't like Glass that much. And Glass had all that baggage attached to it because people were expecting it to be amazing because it was the third film in a trilogy that people didn't realize was even a trilogy that kind of thing but yeah that's i'm not keen based on this i'll probably see it i suppose it looks like a fairly standard body horror film with crap cgi yeah it's a pretty eloquent way of summing it up actually (laughs) next trailer we have star girl season two star girl is a show that is now on the cw 
it used to be on the DC streaming service, which no longer exists, has been folded into HBO Max, but they've decided to stick it on the CW and let them do the production, which probably means it's going to look a lot cheaper this season. <laughs> this trailer doesn't look all that cheap, actually. It looks like they've spent the money well, but sometimes they hide it well and sometimes they don't on the CW, as we both know all too very well. well, because we watch these things. So you've got Green Lantern's daughter, you've got Courtney trying to go to high school and live a normal life after saving the world in the first film, so it's going to be that whole should I give up my responsibility and live life as a normal teenager, where all her teammates seem keen to do that. Her mother and adopted father are keen to let her do that. She wants to continue being a superhero, that's the conflict. Green Lantern's daughter turns up and announces herself as Green Lantern's daughter. Because otherwise you'd have no idea who she is. Yeah, I think that was actually a bit of audio editing in the trailer. It seems to be put in place to actually explain who she is in the moment, but I'm pretty sure that in the episode itself, that isn't how the dialogue is actually going to go. Well, you never know, because the line in Batwoman in season one was literally, the Batsuit is literal perfection. It will be when it fits a woman. Okay, you've made your point. You've beaten us over the head with it, but you've made your point. So I'm fully expecting that just to be the dialogue. Maybe it's just badly dubbed after the fact it happens. I am quite looking forward to this new season. Well, I loved season one. For the most part, I really enjoyed it as well, as the overly lengthy reviews that you can read on this very site will attest to. I think the trailer did a good job of establishing where all characters are now. I'm pretty sure all the stuff about Courtney being conflicted and all the others wanting to live normal lives, that's all going to be in the first episode. Maybe the first two. Sometimes they stretch out to two. Or there's one person that holds out for half the season. I did like how they were showing bits of what was going to happen, but not actually telling the whole story. Or much of any kind of story, actually. Because all being shown is that Jade will turn up to claim her father's lantern, and the Thunderbolt is going to come out of his pen at some point, and the Shady is going to make an appearance. And I suspect that even though he was originally part of the ISA, I don't, I don't think he's going to be a full-on villain. I think he's going to be kind of like an untrustworthy ally. It's, it's been revealed that Eclipso is going to be in the series, and I don't think it's much to assume that he's going to be the main villain. And so I suspect that the Shade will turn up to offer advice and help, but at the same time you can't ever be sure precisely how self-serving everything he's doing and saying actually is. Yeah, and we've got other stuff that's happening. John Wesley ships Jay Garrick is making an appearance. Possibly the version that we've been watching all this time, or possibly a different version that looks the same. We don't know. I assume that is a different version of the same character played by the same actor. Yeah, the one that belongs to that universe. Joel McHale is going to turn up at some point, because he's not dead. Although it seems to be intentionally ambiguous as to whether or not he is actually Starman. Yes. So yeah, looking forward to this. And we've had a long interlude about something that if you haven't seen season one, none of what we just said will make any sense. That's just the way it works on Neil Before Pod, I'm afraid. Yes, we just sit here talking crap and it's your problem. Speaking of crap, (laughs) this next trailer, Space Jam, A New Legacy, it boggles the mind that they've made this. It really does. The first trailer looked bad. It's like Ready Player One again. It's like, let's throw in little bits of nostalgia because people recognise them, but we won't actually assign any of them. And The Iron Giant's a big example of that. The Iron Giant is actually a film about pacifism, but Big Robot with Lasers is all it ever translates to in things like this. I'm not keen for this. I think it looks terrible, just beyond terrible. The first Space Jam is terrible as well. It's something when I watched it when I was like seven years old or whenever it was, I loved, but don't try and revisit it. Just don't, because it does not hold up. It's precisely that kind of reasoning is why I 
haven't watched the Goonies in going on 25 years. Just because if it turns out that it's really not as good as I remember, I can happily go the rest of my life not knowing that. Just let it live on in your memory. Yes, exactly. But yeah, I am severely underwhelmed by Space Jam being given a new legacy. At least all because the title doesn't even make any sense because they're not even going into space anymore because it's now in a video <laughs> game world. The server verse or whatever it is, yeah. And this actually seems to be another example of what I mentioned about the Halloween Kills trailer. There seems to be a great deal in the trailer from late on in the film, which suggests that there isn't much story to be had. Well, there's nothing. It's just going to be, we're going to throw things you recognise at you for two hours and hope that you enjoy it. It didn't work for Ready Player One. It's not going to work here. Yes, well, Ready Player One also wasn't helped by the fact that it was based on a really badly written book. There's also that problem, yes. But it was just tripe anyway. <laughs> the film was just tripe. Okay, another season two is our next trailer. We have Star Trek Picard season two. And I will spoil the end of season one if you haven't seen it. This is the continuation of that android that has all of Picard's memories but isn't actually him. <laughs> and Q turns up, who was a mainstay in The Next Generation, to send him on some weird time travel mission. And the trailer has Seven of Nine without Borg implants in an alternate reality. It has Picard in a uniform again. It has all sorts of time hijinks. Q appears old because, I guess, because he wants to match Picard's age, which is consistent with how he would behave before. The first season really soured me on Picard, the show. I just don't think it was that good in the end. And I'm really not that excited to see more of it progress after this. And we've got more time travel, more canon messing. We've got more just stuff I don't want to see. I like Q, but I'm not that eager to see him again. Yeah, I think the first season of Picard, it was a really good story as a completely standalone one. To begin with, it was. I think by the end, when it was about synthetics destroying the universe, less so. I mean, in terms of the character's personal journeys, rather than, than all of reality being obliterated by a mechanical Lovecraftian elder gods, because apparently they're a thing. In two Star Trek shows concurrently, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but... I don't really feel it needed to continue past the point where it ended. Because even though it was making a point that this ramshackle crew were going to go on to have further adventures together, I don't think that there's a burning need to actually experience them. And I'm not too sure exactly what the second season is going to offer. Just a box-checking exercise of nostalgia trips. Yeah, Space Jam again, isn't it? Here's the stuff that you liked and the old stuff that you watched, but we're just going to repackage it slightly. It's already been theorised that this is an entire season of that classic episode Tapestry, where Q shows Picard yes. what could have been. And that was good as an episode. I don't need ten of them. Exactly. You don't need ten hours of it. It was perfectly fine in the first two minutes, thank you. Yeah, fine. I was cool with that. You made your point in that time. Is Q's only resource really some ageing android that, that has all of Captain Picard's memories? We don't know. We don't know what the story is. We don't know why Q is visiting him. Maybe he's just bored and wants to mess with him. Because continuing on the theme of nostalgia, it did always seem that Picard was one of Q's favourite toys. And so now he's gone a bit, he's just kind of gone back to play with him again for old time's sake. But then it might not turn out to be quite as fun as he remembered. Yeah, or it might not be as fun as we Hmm. remember, which is the problem. (laughs) So that's that, Picard season two. So yeah, that's it for the trip. What's this? I've just found something on the floor here. Is that a sword? Why is there a sword here? I wasn't here before. I feel weirdly compelled to lift it above my head and say, By the power of Greyskull. What's going on? Where are most of my clothes? Aaron, Angus, what are you doing here? Where am I? 
What's going on? Well, Craig, you're, you're looking so buff and muscular. I am, actually. What's going on? I found this sword. Yeah, I'm not sure about this whole stripping off in the middle of a podcast thing. I'm not really sure about this, to be honest. I wasn't warned. I was given no I don't warning. know. I could get into this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found this sword, and then I felt compelled to say something, and now this happened. What's going on? Do you guys know? Why are we in this weird, desolate landscape? Welcome to Eternia. That's just the way it's done here. People just strip yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the rule. Okay. That's not the strangest thing that's ever happened to me on this podcast. It's up there. I'll tell you that. It's up there. Anyway, while we're here, we might as well talk about the Masters of the Universe Revelation trailer for Netflix. Yes, good, because I really didn't know what else to do with that. Once you've just said everybody strips off, I don't know where you go. I don't know what yeah. you're <laughs> You're just going to have to move on. Let's keep it for the families, guys. Yeah. It just It's all very safe. And Yeah, you started this picking up random swords, you know. Well, you see a sword on the ground, you pick it up. And you have to be really careful, by the way, because when you're on this topic, it really, really goes the wrong way fast. There's been a lot of commentary on swords and picking up and people stripping off and big muscular men running around. So this goes the wrong way real quick. So move on. I have seen the Masters of the Universe movie starring Dolph Lundgren, so I get some kind of idea of what people might be talking about. But... (laughs) This isn't that. (laughs) This is a Netflix series that Kevin Smith is involved in, and there is now a trailer. So I guess that's why we're here, because you guys know you're He-Man. You're the He-Man experts of the podcast, I guess. Is it He's-Men? He's-Men. He-Man. He-Men. I don't know. No, but workshop it. I am the furthest from that you could possibly imagine. <laughs> Which human character are you? I'm pretty much closest to Orko, I think. That's my connection. Okay. First question Who's Orko? I don't know. <laughs> Well, he's got to be commented on. He's in it for about half a second, but he looks like he's had a total upgrade, which I'm really pleased about. And I could launch into that if you want. Sure. Just tell us what you thought of the trailer. At a high level, at a low level, at any level you want. It's a brief open trailer. It looks like they brought all the old characters back. There's the new animation style, which is modern. I guess Walker is the one I really connected to, though, just because it shows me more about what I think they're going to be doing with this, because Walker is the comedy character for from the old show and I, I get why shows needed a comedy character comic relief I, I do understand what the purpose of that was but it just gets a bit ridiculous after a while and so I, I kind of like to see him getting a bit more of a a more meaningful role I mean he's not going to go on there and give speeches and lead crowds and so on but if anybody else is of the same age as me and you remember Schnarf from Thundercats. <laughs> That's like the ultimate level of just why are you even in this? It's just ridiculous. And Orko is kind of tending that way. And when you quite like a character, you think, no, don't just treat him as a comic footstool to just kick around when you feel like it. Do something a bit more interesting with it. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping from this series they will do that. And I think given that he was shown in the teaser as actually being able to use magic that's an indication that he will be, mm. and, and that would be good. Could he not use magic before? Well, as I say, he was a comedy character. He would come along, right, Orko, we've got this really dangerous situation, and only you can save us with your magic. And he'd pull his hat off and pull out some flowers and butterflies, and then inevitably all the other characters would have to say, for the love of God, right, okay, we'll all solve <laughs> it for you then, shall we? I had a toy, Orko, that oh, this probably I... describes <laughs> how his character was, and it, it had this, not really a drawstring, but it was like a lot of sort of plastic drawstring that you'd push into it and then pull it out at speed, and it would just make him spin round, and that was like the, the 
the thing that the toy did. It was like, oh, that's Orko. He's just going to spin and kind of do that and not really help with the fighting. You know, all the other action figures were, would be piling into the big fight, but Orko was just over in the corner kind of spinning by himself. <laughs> so, Aaron, did you like the trailer? Well, if we call it what it is, a teaser, then yes, I did like the teaser. You're right when you originally said there's not really much to it, there's no plot or anything. It really is a tease. And yeah, I'm not expecting more than that. So from what I've seen, the style of drawing has been updated, happy with that. The characters are in and faithfully drawn and portrayed. So I don't think they've tried to update it so far as... It's going to be unrecognisable. I can see what I wanted from it. And the style seems to offer something to the new audience as well. I mean, let's face it, there's going to be people who are ridiculously old like me revisiting their childhood with it, but it has to bring in a new audience too. And it seems faithful to the style of the original. It is an action cartoon because it was for us kids to watch. I will be interested to know if they're going to bring in their messages. I assume not. I can't <laughs> see as they would. When you're updating something, what do you keep? What do you drop? And given at the moment all we've been shown is the drawing style and, and the action, it seems like they are keeping it to the original and it does lead me to ask the question, I wonder what they are going to update. I would love it if at the end it was like a message of, now remember kids, don't spend too much time yeah. on social media. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. He's not going to yeah. do that, but part of me thinks he should. Not a big part, uh, but just enough. No. <laughs> so they did the G.I. Joe thing where they would impart lessons to the audience somehow through the, the plot of the episode. Yeah, the episode would be on a here's a lesson kids should learn and at the end of it they discuss it it was a show with morals like that as a kid i never found it offensive it seemed to work for me weirdly my parents were into it too because they said we didn't send this kid to church how's he going to turn out but actually it turns out some of the cartoons he's watching it wasn't just about the violence and the slaughter there was actually you know a bit of a, a moral thing there and that is a kind of church it. yeah thank you <laughs> Um, well good we don't have to teach our kid these lessons that's fine the, the tv's doing it for us <laughs> but yeah i'm assuming in the modern world they don't bother with that anymore they don't feel like they can put it in well you say that but you couldn't get along with shira because you thought it was doing too much of that you said the weird thing about the princesses of power for me was actually a darkness i bring with me it was more this show isn't aimed at me and it's something, therefore, that I, I'm not going to be able to connect with. But when you actually read the plot lines for it online, I said, oh, this sounds really good. I think the delivery, though, for me was a little bit too on the nose. In Princesses of Power, it's very much, this is good and right and proper, and we're doing it, and we will do it every day, all the time. And I thought, oh, no, calm down a bit. You're doing good things, but you don't have to throw it in my face. And I think when they did the original shows, I mean, there was not just He-Man, it was She-Ra as well at the time. They did have the moral and they did discuss it at the end, but they demonstrated it throughout the episode. So you could watch it as a kid and then you could get the reflection back on it. And it didn't seem so in your face. It was for kids. It was never going to be a big, long philosophical thesis but I didn't feel like it was in my face. But yeah, with Princesses of Power, the politics and the ideology is in every second sentence. And it was pushed too hard in my face that I didn't feel I could get into the main plot line or storyline because I was being asked to reconsider my philosophy at every single moment. 
So I'm kind of hoping for a bit of a calm down in this one, He-Man Revelations. If they want to push moral stuff at me, I am totally up for that because it is a good thing, I think, to have in your kids' cartoons. It is a good thing to have that discussion in there. Let's discuss the society we want to live in in a way that kids can handle. But I do hope that if they do do that, it's here's a plot line, here's the emotion, digest it. And the characters don't have to get on a platform and and just tell you it, because I couldn't enjoy that. So I don't even know if he's going to do it from a teaser. How can you even know? But (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wonder about Kevin Smith's involvement, because he's kind of a master of nostalgia, if not a master of the universe. And as you said, it's it's a teaser. We don't really get to see a whole lot, but it does seem to be fairly faithful to the presentation and to the some of the character appearances and things like that. So maybe you never know, there might be the moral at the end. They might have included it just purely to try and stick to the original formula. Well, the fact that Revelations in the title, other than being one of the most cliched words you can add to a title, it suggests that there will be some form of revelation that they might discuss at some point. So maybe that's what that'll be. Yeah, I was thinking about that and I did think that was a bit of a red flag. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I mentioned red flags quite a lot on our previous news podcast, but I did a bit of research into this. I went onto IMDb and <laughs> found out that there's 411 movies, TV shows, video games, TV specials, documentaries, all with the word revelation <laughs> or revelations in the title. So <laughs> I wanted to be sure about just how overused it was. <laughs> Heavily, I think. Did you see the thing Kevin Smith put out himself, right, his commentary on what was coming? I saw that he did it, but I didn't actually see it. No, I haven't. But it's a sequel, right? It's a sequel to the old cartoon. Yeah, it's supposed to follow directly on from that original one, but he does actually suggest what the revelation is. He doesn't say it for certain, but he heavily hints at it because he mentions Teela, who was a character that had a secret... Well, something was being kept from her throughout the series, and it was always this tease, are you actually going to do anything with it? Is it a plot point that you're going to expand? I don't believe they ever did. I kind of don't want to say it, for those that don't want the spoiler. It is on the internet. You can quickly find it with a bit of research, but if you don't... Stick it in the show notes. Stick it in the show notes, yeah. But the revelation, I assume, based on what he said, is going to be... Teela finds out the secret that was kept from her all these years. And given that she seems to be from the Netflix description of what's coming, one of the key plot characters, I kind of think it must be that. It can't be anything else. It's going to be her revelation. She will find out the secret and it will have meaning there. Yeah, and maybe that's where the moral comes in. Don't lie to your whoever. I don't know. It could do. Do you know, the funny thing is when you said, did you like the teaser? I did like the teaser. But when you read the Netflix description, if I'd have just read that, it would have totally turned me off. So I'm glad <laughs> I saw the teaser first because yeah. just as a brief summary, Teela finds out something that needs to be found out and completes a race against time to save the entire universe. And I hate that stuff. Why can't she just save the planet? It's a big planet. There's a lot of people on it. They'd be grateful. You know, they're not going to say no. It's not a big enough deal. We're not interested. So I do hope they don't push that too hard. I do understand that they have expanded it out and there are loads of bad guys now to talk about. And I've forgotten his name, actually, Hordak, where they actually expanded it out. And there's this massive villain that threatens everything. So if they are going to go down that route, it has precedent. But... Honestly, if I'd have just read that, it'd be like, nope, no, that's silly, not interested. (laughs) But who knows? 
everybody's safe yeah. at the universe these days. I guess that's also just how it's done. You, you can't know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, they are masters of the universe, after all. Not just masters of the planet. Yeah, that is true. Yes, in the name, yeah. you were warned. Yeah. <laughs> so, Angus, what was your thoughts on the teaser? Not a whole lot more than what we've already discussed. I mean, it did its job. It made me want to watch. So, yeah, I mean, I liked it. Other than the fact that it has colon revelations. I don't mean... <laughs> Punctuation colon revelations in, in the title, <laughs> which puts me off slightly more now that I've described it that way. I liked it. The presentation was teasery enough, you know, I had the, the pop song over it and it gave you that kind of shot of nostalgia. So I'm in. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. It's on Netflix, which is easy for me to access. So yeah, it's going to be there and it's going to be streaming its way into my living room soon. Maybe if you're engaged enough, the two of you can have a chat about it on a recorded format. A podcast would you be hinting at? Yeah, possibly. I'm not committing you to it, even though it's no, now fair. recorded. Can we just mention the 80s pop, by the way, that's just been brought up? I can't believe it's taken you this long. What's going on at the moment, by the way? Is there some sort of deal on Bonnie Tyler licensing at the moment? Because... <laughs> It's just literally everywhere. And I need to say it because I've been saying this in our own chat so much, but I need it to be officially recorded on the podcast that the guy who did the recut of Luke appearing in The Mandalorian to Bonnie Tyler's <laughs> I Need a Hero is just the best. And everybody else has tried to copy it. As much as I love He-Man, as everybody else has tried to copy it, failed. Just stop it. It's already been done. You will lose. She must be raking in the cash. It's just everywhere. And the songwriters. And the songwriters, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it was in Loki. Spoilers for Loki if you've not been watching it, but it's in there. And I do remember way, way back when the Detective Pikachu trailer came out and I was kneeling before it and you commented how you were interested because it had I Need a Hero playing over the trailer. That was the best part of it, yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, so it does seem like this song resonates with you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a cut of something from Thor of the Dark World and play I Need a Hero over it and then see if your opinion to it changes. It'll be like Detective Pikachu. That will be the best thing about what you show me. The rest will be irrelevant. I'll just have it playing throughout the whole film, and then you might be like, this is the best film I've ever seen. Uh, That is just not going to (laughs) happen. The song has a hypnotising effect on you. No, no, I should just be pining for the Mandalorian again. Keep your list, though. We should do a list. I want a list somewhere. And you have to put Guardians of the Galaxy, the new computer game. You have to put that on it. They used it. Yeah, we'll keep track of the body Tyler usage. <laughs> I want this as a list that just keeps growing forever. It was used really well in Shrek 2, if you've seen that. Yes, I recall. Other places, I guess. It's just one of those songs that gets the blood pumping, I guess. It's good to put in things to increase urgency i don't know the funny thing is though when it's done in an over-the-top way it becomes a bit comical it works by itself as 80s power ballad but when you start putting other things to it there's this element of ridiculous because of the, the juxtaposition of it and it worked well in the comedy for the mandalorian but i couldn't take guardian seriously when they tried to do it so um ooh, I, I don't know actually We'll see. Challenge accepted. I guess for He-Man, it's an easy marriage, isn't it? It's an 80s property, 80s song. Combine them. It was relevant, yeah. It was time relevant, and you had to, yeah, had to give it that, certainly. Yeah. My reaction to the teaser, I think it looks good. I think the animation looks really cool. The action looks pretty fun. I don't have a huge connection to He-Man. I did watch it now and again when I was young, but I think it was being phased out for the stuff that I was watching by the time I was 
starting to watch TV. So it was things like Batman, the animated series and Spider-Man and X-Men and Turtles and stuff like that were more my speed. So I do remember watching bits and pieces of He-Man way back, but not massively. I don't have a huge connection to it. As I say, I've seen the film that they made, which is pretty awful. And I've seen it recently enough to remember it well, I guess. It's pretty dire. There's Courtney Cox in it, which is really funny. Yeah. To not remember. And the guy that plays Tom Paris in Star Trek Voyager, he's in it too. Yeah. Who is he? He's Courtney Cox's boyfriend or the musician guy. There you go. So there you go. That's (laughs) his big role from Masters of the Universe to to Star Trek. So good for him. He's, He's... Done good, I guess. One thought I did have about it, and I remember chatting to you about this, Angus, offline, because we do talk sometimes, not when we're recording. It's a novelty. (laughs) But it seems like this is, when you get distance from something and you think back on it, your imagination will inflate it in some way. And I feel like this is how He-Man fans must remember the cartoon. They remember it looking like this and being so fast-paced and dynamic and exciting. Whereas if you watch the actual cartoon, it's kind of cheap looking. Is that fair to say? I don't want to disagree with you in your current Hulked Out <laughs> So you can have your opinions. <laughs> You're not just saying, though, that animation styles age, because that is definitely true. Yeah. When I looked at it, though, I, I don't know that I do agree, because I did see an obvious change in the animation style. I think I was expecting that, actually. I don't mm. think I will be that surprised at at all it's just because animation style has changed so very much over the years i think i'm actually very aware of that there was a fairly new ninja turtles remake cartoon that the animation style just didn't appeal to me at all and the cartoon probably isn't made for me anyway but it's not something that i could see myself getting into just that was one of the major barriers but i think what they've done with the style of this animation is it's like enough of a bridge between the old it's obviously updated but still has that kind of retro look to it that it can get its hooks into those of us looking for some nostalgia. Yeah, because I think back on some of the things I used to watch when I was younger, and I do remember them as looking better than they did because I guess my imagination has just filled in gaps, or maybe it was filling in gaps at the time as well. So I do wonder if there's anyone looking at this and being like, oh yeah, this is how I remember it. Happens with video games a lot as well. Yeah. Go back and play some old video games and think. It's like, how many hours I spent on this? And then you pick up the original Tomb Raider and you're like, how did I ever play this? This is impossible. I cannot control this at all. I'm using a D-pad. What is this? I don't know. There may be an element of that. That that was just my thought. I mean, I don't have that connection to it. It's an interesting thought and you're probably not necessarily wrong, but I just have it in my head that we never really expected this glorious animation that today, when you're looking at stuff in the modern world, it's very much there is going to be something new, a new format, a new style, a new thing coming every year. And you very quickly get used to thinking, oh, that's so last year because there's this rapid change. But when I was a kid, there were cartoons. Well, certainly when I was watching it, we didn't even have anime to compare it to. There were just cartoons. So I have no expectation of a particular quality. I didn't think it was bad at the time. I didn't think it was good. It's just all that it was. I mean, if it came out now, I think I'd agree with you because when you watch something from 10 years ago, you are really comparing one to the other. But yeah, going back as far as the 80s, there was no expectations. I think it's moved further back than you think for people like me because we don't have that. For us, it's more there is simply the nostalgia of our youth 
rather than a measure of quality. Nobody at the time reviewed anything and said, oh, yeah, the drawing quality. It would have had to have been really bad for somebody to have been reviewing the animation quality. It just wasn't done. That's how old I am, I'm afraid. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. You've got this different perspective of this different era. It is, it is a newer era now, and I, I think that does come with it. I'd, I'd, I'd hear comments in the chat otherwise, but yeah, I think I'm just older than you. I think if you were to go back and revisit the old cartoon, you would immediately notice animation mistakes, reused shots, reused backgrounds. What do you mean, if I were to go back? <laughs> yeah, I, think that I don't go back. I don't know, maybe you do. There are things that you do pick out in these old shows, but it's actually only the same as you used to get from watching the old Star Trek series. You remember that shot of the Enterprise? <laughs> I mean, that shot of the Enterprise. There is that same shot with He-Man. There is this point where he would run into shot from the top of the camera, and he would stop in the middle as if he was an actor hitting a mark. <laughs> because, of course, that's the way he was drawn. And he would just turn slightly, and his hair would flick. And this is how well I remember it, because that's the bit. He and arrives on the scene. That is a shot. You could actually go and find that in, in many of the episodes. And there's the bit where they're on the rocket sleds, and they shoot. There's actually one episode where they're actually starting to fight really heavily between these two, and some alien has to come down and tell them to be peaceful, and it's all a bit weird. But when you watch that sequence play out... It is just pretty much, there's about 30 shots in sequence. But when you actually see how many it's made up of, it's made up of about five, just played on <laughs> random. And I even noticed it as a kid. But again, you, you didn't really have any expectation. Yeah. So you're right. I would go back and I would see these things. But actually, oh. I already saw them at the time. Oh, here's He-Man coming. I knew where we were in the plot. It's fine. I'm all right with that. You know, he's turned up. But in your young mind, there was an epic battle playing out that looks like this teaser i guess well yeah because when you did it yourself as a kid and you played with the toys we just i don't know i just don't remember you just make do yeah. it was just well you weren't even making do it so i don't know maybe i'm just sounding like the old man yeah. saying when i were a lad we had a bucket of coal and we were happy <laughs> no, i think it's just kind of a bit of a celebration of children being able to kind of watch something like that and not really care about the yeah. repeated shots or yeah. you know when you're if you were playing with it you're not seeing your hand holding a toy you're kind of editing no. that stuff out and yeah. you're seeing the scene that you're playing out before you so it was the same with a lot of those old cartoons like in transformers you know it was the same there where you'd get repeated shots of battles and stuff and you didn't care you knew what was happening it might have been a money and time saving method for whoever was making it but you didn't care about that as a kid watching it you were just having fun getting kind of swept up and you it. thought it was an epic battle but what it actually was was different colored lasers flying back and forth never hitting anything yeah loved it <laughs> Yeah, it is that. I suppose it is that. And I think now they have the money to be like, no, no, this can look like how you might have imagined it or wanted it to. I don't know. That's what I'm trying to get at, I guess, is the springing your imagination to life now with this animation style, which is great. I think that's great that they can take an old property and just give it that life that it never had before, I guess. Maybe they'll have an episode where it is really stripped back and they don't have tons <laughs> of stuff lying about. And then at the end, the lesson can be, remember, kids, it's okay to use your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everyone will be like, that's the worst thing I've ever seen. Why did they make this? <laughs> and then they had to insult us by saying, no, just use your imagination. I'm watching something, so I don't have to use my imagination. So cool. He-Man teaser or Masters of the Universe Revelation teaser. Looking forward to it. I might give it a watch. I don't know. I mean, I say that. It's on Netflix. There's a good chance that I'll just not watch it like I do with 
so many things that are on Netflix. Mark Hamill voicing Skeletor, that seems pretty cool. The voice cast, there's a lot of money been spent on that, by the way. The only one I don't recognise is the guy actually playing Adam and He-Man. Everybody else is like, oh my god, yeah, fair enough, all the way down the list. Chris Wood, he, he was in Supergirl and Containment on the CW, and is the husband okay. to the actress currently playing Supergirl, Melissa Benoist. Not the one that we'll be talking about later on in this very podcast about the costume reveal and stuff. So he's one of the pretty people then. He's been brought in to voice act, <laughs> so he must have a pretty voice as well. Yes, he's one of the pretty people brought in to play Adam because he has a pretty voice. I don't know. Yeah, it shouldn't matter. Mark Hamill as Skeletor seems like a no-brainer, I guess. He has one line in this teaser and he sounds like the Joker. That's his villain voice, the Joker but slightly different. As long as the mannerisms are different, it's probably okay. Okay, so I wanted to ask you guys what about one more thing before I figure out how to... Just give me one more thing on this one, actually. Say we do ever come back to this, there's one thing I'm going to be very interested to pick up on. So I'll just give it a quick mention, which is on the updating it to the modern audience. He-Man was very much like, I guess, a lot of the old cartoons and very much like A-Team of the day where they had these hideous weapons of great power and death-dealing capability, but nobody really gets hurt. I mean, He-Man's main weapon is a sword. He never hits anybody with it. <laughs> he uses it to deflect laser bolts and so on. And when people get hit by stuff, there's no blood or anything. And I'm not expecting blood and gore, and I don't want it. I don't think that would be right or relevant. But what I am interested in is this whole idea of you have to update to the modern. Are you going to rebalance the gender issues? Are you going to stop calling people beast man and merman? Because quite frankly, that's almost bordering on racist. You know, I happen to be a beast man, but my name is Steve. (laughs) Just what you're doing, you know, are they going to update any of those things? And equally, when it comes to the violence aspect, are people actually going to get hurt or are they going to keep this very 80s idea where People get shot at but never hit. People might get punched, but it's all fine. I'm just curious to know how far all of the updating is going to go in terms of the politics and the ideology of the modern world. I don't see Kevin Smith as particularly woke. Not saying that he isn't, because he's going to be very modern. He's going to have taken on all the modern ideals. But I don't know that I've seen him as being somebody who pushes it that heavily in his work i don't think so you can tell me if i'm wrong but i'm interested to know updating something from the 80s to the modern world how much are they going to have to have changed it's just a point i think i might want to come back to in my own head if nothing else yeah it's interesting i think he probably has evolved and has presented his left-wing politics before and you know has been critical of religion and various other things that he grew up with but i think that he probably has swung more woken i'm hoping that these issues are addressed the way that i'd like to see them so yeah we'll see it's not too long to wait and it all will be revealed yeah end of july it comes out so that's the thing so yeah i did want to ask you guys about one more thing your expertise is relevant to this so we've got a new transformers movie coming out next year Somehow. It's going to be called Transformers Rise of the Beasts, and it's going to draw on the mythology of Beast Wars, a thing I've never seen. Although I did used to know someone that talked endlessly about it because they loved it so much. So I know enough about it. So this is going to be set in the 90s. It's a spiritual sequel to Bumblebee, whatever that means. We're back in the territory of spiritual sequels now. They were lying fallow for a bit, but now they're back. Basically, it's going to be set in the 90s. You're still going to have G1, Optimus Prime, and Bumblebee, and some others in there. But they're going to deal with the Beast Wars mythology, which will mean 
Optimus Primal and things like that, who is a robot that turns into an ape because the Earth's atmosphere is toxic to him or something like that. Am I right? I don't know. What do you guys think of this? The fact that they're making this and they're drawing on this mythology and kind of still chucking in the familiar elements that cinema audiences will be familiar with through Optimus Prime and so on. I'm not all that enthused by more Transformers movies, although I did enjoy (laughs) Bumblebee more than the however many came before that. (laughs) Spiritual sequel... I don't know. Are they just kind of milking that good thing they were onto with Bumblebee? I'm not massively into Beast Wars. I was kind of aging out at the point at which Beast Wars was coming on the scene. That new sort of animation style CG stuff never really appealed to me. I don't know whether or not I just happened to be kind of aging out at the right time or I just preferred the older stuff, the stuff we've just been talking about. So yeah, I was never really into it too much. I've heard it criticized as being this kind of empty world. I I kind of think of things like Reboot and Beast Wars in the same sort of, they're probably really revolutionary and took some really creative minds to make and now I'm just trashing them, but (laughs) they just weren't for me. So I don't know a whole lot about Beast Wars. I do remember the toys, but not really, as I say, I was kind of getting too old for them at that point. So it was more like my friends younger siblings and things had them so i never really have that connection to it the spiritual sequel if it does have the same sort of approach the same sort of feel as bumblebee then i can see myself being interested in it but at the moment it's not something that's calling to me all that much fair enough do you know i did actually struggle with the animation style i would have been older as well at the time i think it'd be the same thing and it just felt empty when you're watching the world's and I struggled to think, well, why are they turning into these beasts? Because I knew as a kid that the reason they turned into cars was because they wanted to hide in traffic and they didn't want to be seen as big robots walking around and scaring everybody. And that made sense to me as a kid. Why did you need to turn into an animal? There were literally no other animals anywhere. You know, <laughs> what, why did you need that shape? You could have had any shape at all. And then you try and connect that in with a name. And the names for toys are always a bit on the nose. But when you're a kid, yeah, you don't care. You know, I'm called Ratchet. I fix things. It's almost like a nickname, though. It does kind of work as a nickname because you're you're named for what you're known for. So you, you don't really question it even then, I don't. Even as an adult, I'm thinking, am I really bothered by Ratchet? Wheeljack was a bit weird. <laughs> That's what I do. I lift stuff up for a bit. (laughs) Maybe they did push a few of them. But when you you went into things like Ironhide, again, it is like a nickname. Why is he called Ironhide? Because he is pretty tough. And it did seem to mean something, or at least it meant enough. Again, maybe it's not going to be great literature, but it meant enough. And you, you connected with it. And Optimus Prime was a bit mythological almost when I was a kid because it didn't necessarily mean anything, but it, maybe it sounded good. And then you got into some of the cartoons were telling you what it meant to be a prime. Oh, right, I'm connecting to that. Right, brilliant. Okay. But then you come across Optimus Primal. <laughs> Primal because I'm an ape. And you're thinking, even as a kid, no, you're just, that is just lazy. I know it's a nice pun, but everybody knows what I think of puns. Puns are a waste of our lives. Our brain space given over to puns is lost brain space and we'll never get it back. So it's just pushing a bit into that ridiculous. So it it really did feel like the thing I didn't notice as a kid was, buy me now, you need more toys, buy me now. I didn't notice it as a kid. But your parents did. <laughs> My parents noticed. But when it comes to Beast Wars, it's just... How can we make you buy Optimus Prime again? 
and just seems so lazy to just change it to primal because you've taken away the thing that had meaning. He is a prime. There is story behind that. There's plot. There's history. There's even mythology. And you've just tweaked it to make a pun so you can sell me a gorilla. Yeah, and no one was able to pun Megatron, were they? Because there's just another Megatron in the show. Yeah, that's how lazy it was. It did honestly feel just lazy. And I fully admit everything Angus has just said. It must have taken a lot of effort and skill to put the new CGI stuff together. Fair enough. I can't deny that. But it does feel like we spent all the money on the IT department and I don't know, the writers or the producers came a bit cheap with it. Just knock it out. Kids won't care. They won't know. They'll buy it anyway. And you just want to raise your fingers up to that and say, no, we did notice. Thank you very much. Yeah. You've not bothered. So I was never invested in the original one. And now they're going to try and sell me some idea of Optimus Prime is meeting Optimus Primal. So they're different characters. Or he has a big, hideous, disfiguring accident. And someone says... He's fallen into a zoo after being shot by Megatron. <laughs> what are we going to do? And his brain searches for something else. Cannot be a car here. Must be an ape. And there's just no way. How can this? No, sorry. No, I didn't trust Michael Bay at the start. And he's handed it over to somebody else. And is, is it his choosing? Or is it all the producers? Cho- no, sorry. No confidence. So, no, I think it's just Paramount have appointed different people to make these films now. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, Michael Bay is, I, I think for his production company might be involved, but I don't think he is involved. So, the, the director is a guy called Steve. Stephen Capel Jr. And uh, I don't know. (laughs) I probably should have looked that up. I'm going to read a bit that he said during the press conference where they announced the film. And he says, I was a kid when it first came out, I presume Beast Wars. So there's that element. Mm. And so my very first experience living Transformers, I was a child and I was actually using my cousin's VHS tape. That sounds weird saying it out loud. I feel like it's prehistoric now. It was a VHS tape. I don't know if anybody remembers what those were. I had to move backwards after seeing it. I was captivated by the world at the time, even the colours, because I'm really a colour person. I was really hype about the colours. I remember that and then the characters themselves. So then I started to work backwards and watch all the Transformers. By the time I was a teenager, Beast Wars came out. I was part of that interesting sort of gap where I was able to know the Transformers. No G1, no G2 even. But then on top of that, dive into Beast Wars. I remember they were trying something funky with the CGI and all that stuff. And we were all like, what is this? It was right on the break into like high school. I'm just excited. You can see the kid in me is like, that's what brought me into this project. It's a chance to imagine on a different level, right? And like a dream. So that's what Transformers really means to me. Dealing with robots, dealing with humans and creating that bond. It's all about the emotion and all about where we can take our new characters. Of all the things he could have picked out. I mean, I'll never try and sell Transformers as Shakespeare that would just be ridiculous (laughs) but of all the things he picked out oh the colours were great and robots bonded with humans I mean they had colours and the bonding (laughs) did happen oh I don't feel like he sold that there's more I don't like marketing teams but I feel like he should have stepped in (laughs) there was more what's interesting about Transformers overall there's different I would say breeds of Transformers if you will you know what I mean? We have different insignias, different groups, and Beast Wars happens to be one of them. There were these animals that, I mean, these robots and their disguises were in animal form. So we have them here in our film. And again, I'm not going to give away plot in our particular film. There's those prehistoric robots that sort of travel through time and space, and we find them here on Earth. And that's all I'm going to say. Mm, okay. And somehow Optimus Prime and Bumblebee will be in it. 
whether they travel through time or whether they find them in the present day. I don't know. I could see it being a sort of framing story where they maybe discover them and, and then they flash back to how it got there. Mm. I don't know. At least with the Dinobots, they actually had a reason to be turned into dinosaurs because that was what was about at the time. Don't try and think about the amount of time that's passing here, but at least they were about. But he's going to try and say, yeah, robots in disguise. The entire thing must take part in London Zoo. That must be the entire <laughs> film. There's no other way I can think they can be doing it. So you're not hyped for this based on what we've seen so um, far? You're talking me further out of it, I have to say. <laughs> well, I remember all it took was to see the trailer for Bumblebee, and you see the, the war on Cybertron, you're like, I have to see this. So maybe this will be like that. If he produces something and gives me a clip that gets me in, then fair enough. Yeah. yeah. But I've said the same about Netflix, what Netflix put out about He-Man Revelations. I wouldn't have watched it. So I guess I just don't like the marketing stuff. I need to see it, maybe. Is that me? Is that unfair? It shouldn't take too much longer because it's out next year, apparently. So they must be quite far into what they're doing. So, Angus, are you hyped for this at all in any way? (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) That kind of attempt at selling it from the director just kind of turned me <laughs> further <laughs> off <laughs> although i don't know it's it's difficult uh, it's kind of a second-hand account obviously you did an admirable job of recreating his speech but um, <laughs> i'm not sure that you know, I unless i were to hear it from him and hear if there is actually excitement in his voice or if this is just him having to sell a project that he's working on uh, yeah i don't know i wasn't all that encouraged by what he had to say i mean i'll see this i've seen all the other transformers movies that have come out since the 2007 one was it I think it was that was when it came out. I've seen them all. So I'll see this one. And I liked Bumblebee. I thought Bumblebee was really good. So I'm excited by the fact that there's different directors getting to work on it because the Michael Bay shtick was getting very, very old after this sixth one. When he did six of them, it's like, okay, it's time for someone else to maybe take a look at this because it's just getting a bit like Fast and Furious, just getting silly. I mean, it's probably long past that point by that point, but you know what I mean. Mm. So... Different takes on it might be a good thing. We don't know. So yeah, that's that. That's your expertise fulfilled. So thank you very much. Now, how do I get out of this form myself and get back to where I was? Just walk off the scene. Just walk away. Is that all? So I don't need to say anything. I don't need to get struck by lightning again. I don't need to do anything. Just do it in a way that you can repeat over and over again. And if you could walk back and then turn and flick your hair as well, that would be really good. (laughs) That's really easy to do for audio. (laughs) Just so we've got that in the can. You know, we need to be able to reuse some of this stuff. (laughs) That's it. Paint it against different backgrounds. (laughs) Or the same background, I don't know. So that's all that you did. Okay. I was wondering if there was a transform back animation thing that he did but is it just you never saw how he turned back to his human form or his prince form it was just he just did it somehow i have no memory of that shows up on the scene like hey did anyone see what just happened (laughs) Uh, where have you been (laughs) someone who looks exactly like you but with less clothes saved our lives did change his voice though that was a slight voice change (sighs) slight okay and the clothing. It was all about the clothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. People were too fixated on the abs. They never noticed it was the same guy. They were pretty impressive. So, you know, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just put your clothes back on, Craig, and you'll be fine. I'll be fine. Put the sword down. Just, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. And I will return back to this not desolate landscape. You have the power. I have the power, apparently. Best yeah. of luck. Oh, sorry about that. I don't know what happened there. I don't know where I went. That was weird. I wasn't gone for too long, was I? It was kind of weird. There was this Eldritch 
flash of lightning that came splitting through the window, and then you transformed into this incredibly buff and homoerotic version of yourself, but then you weren't all that interesting. Oh, that happened. Yeah, it was a weird night. Let's just say that. It's a weird night. Okay, so where were we? That was it for trailers. We made it through all the trailers. Quite a lot of them. Quite a trailer-heavy month. I guess that's a sign that nature is healing. Trailers are coming out again. We're getting to watch things. That's exciting. So, yeah. So now we get to the portion of the monthly News Roundup podcast where we discuss various bits of news around the internet. And it's essentially, I'm going to read variety to you and ask you to react to it over and over again. It's not always variety, but the first bit is. Usually what we do is we go through the tent poles of Neil Before Pod, which basically involves three distinct universes. First of all, we're going to start with the Marvel Universe, as always. The most important one, I suppose. So we have some casting news for the upcoming She-Hulk series on Disney+. We're getting Jamila Jamil in a major role. Variety is confirmed. It's rumoured to be Titania. That's how you pronounce it. I'm going to pronounce it. I've only ever seen it written down. Titania, who made her debut in Secret Wars, which I imagine will be very different here, her origin. But she's someone that can fight She-Hulk. Essentially, that's all it is. I like the casting. I like the idea of the She-Hulk show, this kind of legal drama where she fights people. And yeah, I'm here for that. I like Jamila Jamil from The Good Place. So, cool. I am keen. Yeah, I think that's quite an intriguing bit of casting, which is also pretty much how I reacted to Tatiana Maslany being cast as Jennifer Walters. Because it wasn't some casting that I expected, but after it had been announced and sort of thinking about it for a bit, it's like, yeah, I'm on board with this. I think that's going to be quite interesting. When she confirmed that she was being cast and then Marvel said, no, she hasn't, and then they confirmed that she'd been cast. Yeah, well, I was, I was just um, by being like, nobody is officially cast until we say they are. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And keep your mouth shut, Tatiana Maslany. <laughs> Don't speak out of turn again. But yeah, I do quite like Jamila Jamil, and uh, I think that seeing her as, as a super strong supervillain, if indeed that is who she is, is going to be quite interesting. Yeah, she might just be sitting in a courtroom being defended, <laughs> for all we know. Because yeah, I've always thought it would be absolutely hilarious if Marvel just like, completely trolls everyone with the She-Hulk series and just make it a completely straight courtroom drama. <laughs> the, the, the only difference being its central character just happens to be a seven-foot green-skinned muscle babe. Yeah, never fights anyone. Yes. The abomination turns up, he takes the witness stand, <laughs> then he leaves. It'll be fun, but I doubt very much that will actually happen. You have some other casting, maybe, for Marvel. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, the sequel to Black Panther. They haven't announced what they're doing about the Black Panther side of things, but there is a rumour that Namor, the Submariner, who's essentially Marvel's Aquaman, for those who don't know who he is, and I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't know who he is, because not a big character, really, unless you're into comics. He's quite prominent in comics, but he's not hugely well-known outside of it. And I can't believe it's taken them this long to get him outside of comics and cartoons, really. But the rumour has it that Tenok Huerta, I think that's how you pronounce it, is going to play him. He was in Narcos. He'll be in The Forever Purge, which is a film that I probably won't watch. I'm sure he's good. I don't think I've seen him in anything, but I'm sure he's good. And hopefully they'll move away from the swimming trunks look because that'll just be kind of disturbing. I've never actually watched any iteration of Narcos. Well, I did see him in this Mexican fantasy slash horror slash crime film called Tigers Are Not Afraid, which is actually very good and people should seek out, where he was a crime boss. Um, quite interesting for, for when he was on screen. Though the notion of Namor himself isn't one that I am particularly enthralled by, because I 
don't really like the character. I find him obnoxious and arrogant and just not very interesting. I know there is a comic history between him and Black Panther, as well as some tense history between his Atlantis and Wakanda. Because all the hidden kingdoms have to fight each other, or they have to be tense with each other. Of course, because how then would they know who amongst them is the toughest? <laughs> yeah, and they can't fight with the real world, they have to fight with the hidden world. So basically, interesting actor for a boring character, so I'm kind of, meh, really. I'm sure they'll beef him up quite significantly in some way. He won't just be some weirdo that keeps hitting on the Invisible Woman. Because she's not around yet. But I'm sure he wouldn't just be a weirdo that hits on the Invisible Woman anyway, even if she was around by this point. I know later on he joins the X-Men and things like that, so I don't know, whatever. He's got a lot of connections, potentially. Yeah, I think it's a good character to introduce. And it gives you a new world to play with as well, Atlantis. It's a new visual landscape that we can play around with, which is always fun. But it is hilarious how exactly the same his backstory is to Aquaman. Half human, half... Atlantean and a prince and all that stuff. I think he's more obnoxious than Aquaman. But other than that, they're about the same. Kind of, yeah. And the next bit of Marvel news is Thor Love and Thunder, perhaps production. And we have a set picture, which is Thor dressed in a kind of 90s vest and Chris Hemsworth looking insanely huge. His arm is, arms do not look like that. It's, it's actually quite terrifying to look at. It looks like he has actual legs with hands on the end sticking out of his shoulders. It's insane, but cool. Thor Love and Thunder, it looks like it'll have a bit of 90s influence and so on. So that's something. And Taika Waititi thing where he'll just do his thing again, hopefully. I didn't quite like Ragnarok as much as most people did, just because I found the tonal dissonance between its various aspects a little too jarring. Like jumping to Thor and Loki, deadpan quipping with each other in New York, to the entire Asgardian military being slaughtered. I just didn't feel that really meshed together properly. So I'm hoping that if YTT does continue the comedy with Love and Thunder, which no reason to assume that he won't, I just hope that the tone is a bit more consistent. Okay, yeah. Final bit of Marvel news that I probably should have looped into the other Black Panther news, but again, bad at my job. Okoye, fan favourite character, is going to appear in the Disney Plus Wakanda origin TV series. That's it. That's all we know. Disney didn't have any comment other than that. That's happening. Fine. I'm guessing she'll be the lead. It would make sense, certainly, because I'm guessing it would be quite an action-oriented series. And seeing as we sadly no longer have Chadwick Boseman to play... T'Challa, then she's the next logical choice to headline that kind of story. Yeah, we'll see how that turns out. They're doing it. Get to play around Wakanda and see how it works a bit more in a slower format. So I'm keen for that. I like exploring culture in fake things, in comic book things. That was one of the things that I was a little disappointed with about Black Panther, is that there wasn't very much exploration into how Wakanda actually operates as a country. We just know it's essentially the pinnacle of Afrofuturism because they have all this vibranium. But it wasn't explored much more than that. No, I mean, there is a culture. That much is clear, but you don't know what it is. But that's not what the film's about, I suppose, and that's why these TV shows exist, so you can... Just dig in and get that detail. That's why I've been loving them so far. And because of what they've been doing with character and stuff as well, particularly in WandaVision, I thought they did a really good job there. Falcon Winter Soldier as well. The things they were saying about what these characters go through and what they experience, really good. So getting to understand a bit more of who Koye is through this TV show. Yeah, sign me up. Sounds good to me. I'm already signed up. I've got a year of Disney+. Plus. I mean, it won't be out by then, but I'll get another year of Disney+. Plus. It'll be out before we know it, because they churn these things out at a rapid rate. 
They really do. So let's hop over to the DC universe. We've got a couple of things, a couple of updates on upcoming films. They are officially filming The Flash or Flashpoint or whatever the hell it's called after years of just talking about maybe filming it. But now they're actually filming it and we've got our first look at a couple of things. I'm going to talk about the Supergirl reveal first. We've got some on-set photos of Sasha Calley in costume without a cape because presumably they'll CGI that in later like they usually do. Costume looks cool. I know people are complaining because she isn't, air quotes again, blonde. We don't like this new Supergirl because she's not blonde. (laughs) And she's wearing trousers. Well, it's actually a onesie. Yeah, I don't care. I mean, she actually looks like some versions of Supergirl that have existed in the comics. So the fact that you only know about the blonde one isn't my problem. The royal you, I know that you know. I understand what you mean, yeah. Uh, I saw some images posted on Twitter which were side-by-shots of the movie Supergirl compared with panels in the comics. And... She actually looks pretty much exactly the same. Exactly the same hairstyle, same suit design. And the fact that if people can only accept their vision of the superhero if she happens to be a cute blonde in a miniskirt, then I really think that says more about them than it does about the production. Yeah. I don't remember the character's name, but there is that short, dark-haired Supergirl that's not Kara Zorel. Equally, she could just be playing Kara Zorel. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah, well, there's no reason why she... Couldn't be. Yeah, but there is that Supergirl that looks like her. We don't know what universe this is. We don't know what's going on here. It's just we have a cinematic Supergirl. She looks the part as far as I'm concerned. I like the suit. I like the design. It follows the Man of Steel aesthetic in terms of costume design. Well, it's a bit more colourful, as in the the colours seem a bit brighter, but they might just muddy them in post-production like they did with the Man of Steel costume, so we don't know. But it looks good. I'm here for it. I know Melissa Benoist spoke about, well, she more spoke about it when she was cast and was like, good luck with this. This role changed my life. Hopefully it will change yours, that kind of thing. And so since the person who many see as definitive live-action Supergirl doesn't have a problem with this, then maybe they shouldn't either. Yeah, she doesn't have blonde hair. We've had some other stuff. There's a picture of Michael Keaton on set with grey hair, old Bruce Wayne. But we've also had a close-up picture of the 89 Batman logo with some blood on it, a la Watchmen, in terms of at least copying that aesthetic a bit. And we've had a close-up of the new Flash logo, which looks better than the other one that we've seen in the Snyder movies. My biggest concern about this film is I'm hoping they're aware that it's a Flash movie because we have two versions of Batman in it that we know of. We've got Supergirl, other stuff. What's it actually about? Is the Flash in it? I mean, he obviously is. That's the problem. That it seems to be that the fewest amount of updates we've had about the movie is for its title character. Yeah, we haven't even seen the Flash's costume yet, and we've seen Supergirl. And I'm not sure when it was, but at some point in the past, I actually stopped taking in any kind of updates to this production, because it just didn't seem like it was ever going to happen, because nobody could agree on what direction they were going to go or what the plot was going to be or what they were going to do with it. Because I remember like when the idea was to do a Flashpoint movie and use that to reboot the entire DCEU and start again, but this time it'll have some kind of plan as to how they're going to do it. Yeah, it seems like that's still kind of the plan, but not entirely. This whole saga of movies, it's just a case of constantly being made up as they go along. And that really isn't any kind of way to create what... I assume they're eventually planning to be some big overarching narrative they're going to bring into it. Yeah, although what I can't get beyond, in all honesty, is the fact that you're going to throw Michael Keaton returning as Bruce Wayne at me in his original costume or in some updated 
iteration of his original costume in some way within the film. You're going to throw a version of Supergirl at me. You're going to throw whatever other cameos they can cram into this thing. And I'm going to be intrinsically excited about it initially because I'll be like, oh my God, I can't wait to see Michael Keaton as Batman again. I'll admit I'm a fanboy in that respect and I'm keen to see how that plays out. And I actually think Michael Keaton might be better suited to play Batman than he ever was. In in terms of just the tread on the tyres to play an older Bruce Wayne, I'm really interested to see how that looks and how that works for him. Because if you look at the way he is now, I mean, maybe not Birdman is a great example because that's a washed up actor who used to be a superhero in a thing. But just the way he's matured as an actor, I'm really interested just to see how that plays into his Bruce Wayne. Yeah, it certainly has a great deal of potential for a more compelling performance. Because with the original... Batman that Tim Burton made. It was a very, very comic booky kind of movie. Not just in terms of being an adaptation of comics, but it had a very distinctive comic book aesthetic to it. And as a result of that, I think Keaton was partially playing up to that in his performance. But I think here there is a much greater potential for the character to have far more nuance. And also the idea of who Bruce Wayne and who Batman are as individuals and as heroes will be quite interesting to explore now that this version of character is so much older. Yeah, it could be interesting. And there's a rumour that Grant Gustin's going to make an appearance. I wonder if they'll just use that scene that they already filmed. Probably not. Hey, I'm you, but with a budget. <laughs> this is what Ezra Miller will say to him. <laughs> hey, we've done things. Have you seen our grod? So yeah, but wait till you see our grod. He's over-designed and looks crap, actually, but we spent more money. So it is therefore better. He doesn't even look like a gorilla. It's so crazy. What about our King Shark? Oh, he's in the Suicide Squad. And actually, the TV Flash version of King Shark, in terms of rendering, looks better. Yeah, I have to agree there. Next up, another film that they're making, Shazam! Fury of the Gods. We have a first look at the new suits, where the director said that he was going to leak it before it got leaked, which was a nice touch in terms of just revealing it. It looks like the costumes have levelled up since the first film. It looks like they've really spent money on them, and it makes sense in a way because the costumes for the other people that weren't Zachary Levi's as yet unnamed superhero, because <laughs> he never got a name in it. Captain Sparkle Fingers, or whatever they were workshopping. The other Shazam people weren't in it for very long, so it made sense that their costumes, they didn't spend an awful lot of money on them. But now it looks like they've got a much bigger role. They've got a high-budget, proper production upgrade, and they look amazing. They really do. Yeah, they look like actual superhero costumes, not like goofy costume costumes that you might pick up at the seasonal end of Asda on discount a week before Halloween. <laughs> But yeah, I think that them having evidently spent so much time and effort and money on getting the costumes so much better, then I think that is suggested that an equal amount of consideration will be given to everything else in the film as well. Or at least I'm hopeful for that, certainly. And because Shazam was quite heavily stylized in terms of its visuals, with the costumes being quite a major part of that, I think that it's just an indication that there's going to be a lot more to look forward to. I loved the first Shazam film. I thought it was excellent. And I'm looking forward to this one. I thought it was a nice breath of fresh air, especially in the DCU canon of films. Exactly, because for the most part, they're just so dour and miserable and serious. Whereas Shazam was fun. Other piece of Shazam news, there's a casting change. Grace Fulton will be playing both civilian Mary and superhero Mary, which is weird because everybody else has has two actors. The idea is that she's grown up a bit, I suppose, but it's a strange choice, I think. I don't think anything was said as to whether that was a specific creative choice that they went with, or if it was an alteration due to Michelle Borth not being able to play superhero Mary for 
whatever reason, with the central premise of Sham being kids transforming into adult superheroes. It does pose the question of what would actually happen for an adult to gain these powers. And I'm assuming that this is going to be hand-waved away by, during the time between the two films, Mary has turned 18 and is therefore legally an adult. Though if that were the case, then it also does have the potential to have some humorous discussions as to what actually counts as an adult. Like if you were to time it for midnight on the night before your birthday, would it suddenly alter which form you take, depending on which side of midnight you utter Shazam? And it, it did remind me that this was actually discussed a little bit in an episode of Young Justice, where the members of, of, of the Justice League were considering recruiting some of the, the younger heroes, but there was a rule that they should only take on adults. But then it led to discussion as to what would actually count as an adult, with Shazam being a prime example, because as Billy, he's a kid, but as Shazam, he's an adult. And also with a character like McGann Morris, even though she has the appearance of a 15-year-old girl and Martian years, she's already matured or something. I can't remember the details. Yeah, she's like hundreds of years old still, somehow. The point is that the legal status of an adult is completely arbitrary and actually varies in different parts of the world. Say, for example, the powers were bestowed on a 16-year-old Scottish kid. Would they change to an adult form or not? I think that given the humorous tone of Shazam, the issue will probably be discussed, but won't actually be resolved. Yeah, they can have fun with it. It's magic, we don't know how it works. Exactly. This is how we think it's working. The implication certainly in the first film is that the superhero persona is what they could look like when they're an adult, in their physical prime, I guess. Particularly with the Darla character, the superhero Darla, you can see how she would age into that, but that's because the kid Darla is so young. But the thing is, like, Asher Angel turning into Zachary Levi in a few years? I mean, it's the conceit you get in fiction anyway. Will they really become a different person in five years? (laughs) Or however long it is. James McAvoy. (laughs) At what point does he turn into Patrick Stewart? (laughs) It's that kind of thing. In the case of the Grace Fulton version of Mary, it's, in a couple of years, you will look like this. No, no, apparently not. (laughs) Although, I remember when I first saw the first Shazam film, I wasn't sure if it was the same actress or not actually, yeah. because you don't see her for very long in the superhero form, so I wasn't quite sure. And the two actresses do actually bear a passing, well, actually more than a passing similarity to one another. Enough for me to think, is that the same person when I was watching yeah. it? Because you only see her sort of zip into frame and then leave and whatever. So there we go. Next bit of DC news. We have a title for Aquaman 2, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. That's it. That's the news. That's what it's going to be called. And they've started production. Yeah, it's nice and vague and mysterious. And also in revealing that and absolutely nothing else, then it, of course, provides an ample opportunity for nerds like us to wildly speculate. Yeah, is it talking about Atlantis? Is there another Lost Kingdom? It probably is. Or are they going back to the Lost Kingdom they went to in the previous Aquaman? Who knows? Could be anything. But I'm keen for another Aquaman film. I like Jason Momoa in the role. Let's ignore his dourness in the Snyder Cut. I like the Snyder Cut, as I've said before, but he's very dour in that. But I liked him in... Aquaman, the film that he was in, where he played himself, where where he played himself, where he played a really fun version of Arthur Curry slash Aquaman. I really liked his take on the character, and so many people agreed it seems to have put paid to the tedious litany of Aquaman sucks jokes. (laughs) Aquaman sucks? Well, this Aquaman? He sucks? Uh, No. Just you say it to his face then. See how that ends up for you. I mean, he would probably laugh it off. He's not one to pick a fight, really, is he? Exactly. That's otherwise it seemed like fairly good-natured. Yeah. So this is our last piece of DC news. Todd Phillips is reportedly co-writing the Joker sequel. Didn't like the first Joker movie. I'm probably not going to like this one. Although I am interested to see what 
Martin Scorsese movies that Todd Phillips has been watching. Hmm. I remember when the Joker movie was first announced, I was completely indifferent to the entire concept of it, and throughout the production I remained indifferent, although I began feeling slightly more contempt pretty much every time Todd Phillips opened his mouth and said something else stupid. And then upon actually watching the film, I was completely indifferent every single moment that it played out. Now the sort of notion of a sequel to it, I can't really think of a more interesting way of saying I just don't care. <laughs> there aren't really words that exist that convey an intense sense of ambivalence towards something. It's just that I felt like the Joker really had no reason to exist. It was a film that didn't do itself any favours by co-opting the Batman mythos. It didn't really say anything, it didn't go anywhere, and the notion of more of that isn't something that I can muster any enthusiasm for. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm not that excited. I just put it on the list so I could say that Martin Scorsese thing, which I thought was quite funny. Especially for me. Yeah, well, if you come up with a decent joke, then you should have the right to engineer yourself... An excuse to actually wheel it out. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's as done with the DC universe, kind of. But we'll go over to the CW, which isn't a universe, but might as well be. It's Neil Before Blog's bread and butter most of the time. So <laughs> That is true. Yeah, so the first thing I'm going to talk about is we've actually ended up, since we started this, there's been a monthly update on this project, this Powerpuff Girls TV series. <laughs> I've gone on record on previous podcasts saying that I've been really excited for it because I just think it sounds like the perfect tongue-in-cheek piece of lunacy that would fit right in in the CW and would be an appropriate successor for Supergirl as well in that kind of demographic and so on. I think it's the perfect thing to slot in. And then the script leaked. Yeah. They're changing this. This isn't the script that they're going to use. Although part of me really wants to see it because if you look at the pedigree of the actors involved, I haven't seen Yana Peralta in anything, but Chloe Bennett and Dove Cameron have both been really good in other things. And can you imagine them turning up to set and being like, what is this? You want me to say this? This is offensive. To be honest, it sounds like what it actually is. Basically how a 40-year-old writer thinks 22-year-olds speak. It was apparently written by Diablo Cody. Yeah, which baffles me. One of the things that made Juno so noteworthy was the, I think, a slightly forced hip nature of the dialogue. But it seems that the kind of gimmick in her writing not only hasn't actually developed, but seems to have actually regressed to the point that the dialogue is practically a parody of how older people make fun of younger people on Twitter by characterising anyone born after 1995 as, as this caricature of sex and tech-obsessed child, really, because that's what they see them as. Avocados and debt, those two things. Precisely. <laughs> and it seems that because that is, is how they perceive younger people, then that's what they believe that they're all like. And the way that the characters in these leaked strip pages are characterised, it seems exactly the same. I've got some of the examples of the dialogue here, and I'm going to read some of them because I just think they're funny. I'm not going to do any voices because... I don't think I can do a good impression of Dove Cameron or Chloe Bennett, so I'm just not going to try. But one of the lines that bubbles, Bubble seems to be a particularly obnoxious character in this version of the script. She has lines such as, 
Blossom's fine. I saw her on Insta that she has a boyfriend. I saw on her LinkedIn that she got promoted. And I saw on Facebook that she still talks to Grandpa despite their political differences. Why are you looking on so many social media things, Bubbles? That's not how young people work, I assume. I'm too old to know. Maybe there is. I don't know. So there's a bit of a tick box exercise going on here where they're trying to tick a bunch of cornerstones of what young people are into. So we've got the social media here and we've got political differences here. And it's almost that CW checklist as well. We have to get in this bit. We have to get in this bit. And then she also says, why? Because she's the one who killed Mojo. I mean, moveon.org. No one says that. I know that. I'm old and I know that no one says that. Another bit, Buttercup says to Blossom, Bloss, wake up or we'll leak your nudes everywhere. And then Bubbles looks confused. That worked on you once. Cool. Okay. Topical. Yeah, but the thing about that is I'm assuming that's meant to be funny, but I really don't see how or indeed why somebody would think it is. Yeah. Buttercup also says it's a mother point in the episode. I'm not wearing that dress anymore. It's compulsory heterosexuality. Okay. What's that even mean? No, I do not know. And then there's a bit where they're in a bar for some reason, because, you know, they're young and they go to bars. Blossom asks, aren't we here to investigate? Buttercup replies with, I'm here to pick up bi-curious townies. You're here to avoid Drake, whoever that is. Bubbles is here to investigate, but she forgot Butch hates her. Luckily, we're dealing with her hate boner, so alcohol helps. This a collection of things that are said. I find it offensive that somebody was paid to sit in front of a laptop and type out that regurgitated offer. <laughs> and there's also a line that comes from Bubbles, played by Dove Cameron. And the reason that I mentioned who plays her is important because she, she says about how the professor, played by Donald Faison, sold their likeness off to this cartoon who totally whitewashed them. This is coming from the white one. Yeah, it just really wasn't thought through. <laughs> so hopefully the second stab at the script will be better. But I do want to see the unfinished work print of this original pilot, just to watch it play out before my eyes. Because it's pure car crash TV. Yeah. Because you know it's going to be unendurably awful, and that is exactly why you won't be able to look away. Yes, precisely. In fairness, they might fix it for the second go-around, but how this first go-around got to this point is quite concerning. Next up for the CW, there's another stab at a Supernatural spin-off, because two failures wasn't enough. Supernatural prequel The Winchesters and works at CW from Jensen and Daniil Ackles. So it's got some firepower behind it, which might mean that it gets at least a pilot. It has a script commitment so far. Basically, it's going to be a prequel that tells the story of John and Mary Winchester when they were... Young Hunters. I can't say I'm all that excited about it, to be honest. I think we know enough about that history, and also there's only so much they can do with the mythology of the show. After that point, there's only so much before that point, because you can't have angels, you can't have apocalypses, you can't have any of that stuff. So is it just going to be generic hunting every week, possibly? Or are they going to mess around with the mythology and have angels come back in time and so on? Jensen Ackles said, we know the milestones. They're just going to tell the story between those milestones. And I believe he's going to narrate the series as well, presumably from heaven. Spoilers for the Supernatural finale. Yeah, I'm really not feeling this at all. To be honest, in terms of Supernatural spin-offs, I'm still annoyed that Wayward Sisters never got picked up because I thought that was going to be a lot of fun. But this, it just seems like an unnecessary expansion of a story that we've pretty much already had told. Yeah, we know the highlights, we know everything we need to know about it. Yeah, but just in terms of the chronology of it, I just don't see how they're going to get it to all fit together. Because in each of the time travel episodes where they encountered uh, young John and Mary, both times ended with John having his memory wiped to preserve the continuity of him 
knowing nothing about monsters at the beginning of the original pilot episode. Whereas it's now been demonstrated that he's a legacy of the Men of Letters and was a part of that underworld his entire life. So for the series to even function, it would first require him to actually know about monsters, which would involve his memories being returned, and then at some point in the future they would have to be wiped again <laughs> to maintain that continuity. And other thing that I we don't think works was the official premise of it was stating that, that it was effectively going to be a love story between John and Mary, and then putting everything on the line to save the world or some other such generic nonsense, which kind of like glosses over the fact that, that when they met they hate each other, and in the end they realistically only actually got together as a result of divine mandate from heaven for the sole purpose of their sons averting an apocalyptic prophecy some 30 years later. <laughs> but to me that doesn't scream romance. And yet they'll take some liberties with the mythology and so on, I imagine, just to make it interesting, if nothing else. It's highly possible this won't ever get out of the scripting stage. Jensen Ackles putting his production weight behind it is a good chance that it might at least get something better. It'll be one of those things that runs for a season and they realise there's nothing here and they bin it. And I imagine they'll recast young John and Mary as well. Maybe Amy Guminick, I think that's how you pronounce her name, would return because she's done quite a lot since, whereas the, I forget his name, but he's not done a ton since. They'll probably go younger, I would imagine. Yeah, because that is generally the CW's stock and trade. Yes, we need two young, attractive people to lead this show. It's a boyfriend and girlfriend pairing hunting monsters rather than a brother pairing. That's essentially what we're doing here. We're doing Supernatural again, but in the 70s, maybe? Yeah, it would be. This last thing for the CW might not even be on the CW, might not be on at all, but sounds like we're getting Smallville back as an animated series. Tom Welling said on a cameo, if you don't know what cameo is, and I certainly didn't before I read this, is a thing where people go on and pay money for get like two minutes with a celebrity that they like. They pay a lot of money and get a two-minute video call with a celebrity that they like. Maybe longer than two minutes, I don't know. But someone had one with Tom Welling, and he said, we're working on an animated Smallville thing, me and Michael Rosenbaum, but don't tell anyone, because that was ever going to happen. And they're working on it. I keep saying on this that nothing seems to finish anymore. It seems that things end, and then a few years later, they find an excuse to bring them back. So... I'm surprised it took this long with Smallville, to be honest. And it being an animated form, of course, a lot of people are assuming, oh, it's going to be his early days as Superman because it's animated and he has the voice, the thing. But I think Tom Welling's desire to be nowhere near a Superman costume will trump that and it will be set during season two or something. Yeah, that was my reasoning. <laughs> I was a little bit surprised to read that it was actually his idea. It's always seemed like Superman is something that he's wanted to leave behind. It seems like he's not wanting to be seen as just Superman. Yeah. Or rather, as just Clark Kent. But then he's had no work since, so whatever. Lucifer, okay. <laughs> and then Crisis, where he's back again. <laughs> and again, with an excuse not to not wear the suit. Yeah. Oh yeah, I gave up my powers at some point in the past. So, if it does become a Superman animated show with the Smallville cast, are we just going to see Clark become so disillusioned with being Superman that he eventually gives up his powers? <laughs> That's a great end to that story. Can't wait to see that <laughs> play out. Oh, but I'm sure it'll be set during like season two. It'll be like that Buffy animated show that they were going to do. You know, we're going to set it during the early days when everything was so innocent and fun. This or it could be like that supernatural anime. It was retelling parts of, of the first two seasons where some parts of it were condensed, but then the other ones were expanded. So I'd just be using that to play around with the material that already exists and just see what they can do with it. And Chloe will be recast. Don't worry about that. That's going to happen. Yes, I think that's pretty much a given. <laughs> Oh yeah, I can't wait to see Clark pining after Lana again, but in animated form. Brilliant. Just what we need in this modern era. More repetitive, non-romance storytelling. I still love Smallville. That's just one of the things about it I really hate and never enjoyed. Yeah, the whole Clark-Lana thing, it was dragged out far too long. I just 
never really got the impression that they ever really would have worked well together. I much preferred it when Lois was introduced. She was someone who he was much better matched with as an adult, someone to have an actual reciprocal relationship with. Whereas Lana was just this teenage obsession that he never properly got over for far too long. Well, he could never be honest with Lana. Well, he eventually did, but he couldn't be honest with her. And that was the whole problem with their relationship. Whereas even though he was being dishonest with Lois about the fact they had powers, he was always himself around her. He was always quite natural around her. Whereas with Lana, it was forced. That's a really interesting thing about this is how you realise that you're supposed to be with someone or whatever. It's this idea that, no, it's easy to be around them. That's the whole point. He doesn't have to force anything with Lois, whereas he always had to do that with Lana. He was always trying to be what she wanted or what he thought she wanted. Yeah, that is one of the myriad reasons why I knew that Jana was going to be the woman I was going to spend the rest of my life with. Just because with her there wasn't any need to put up any pretense or any defences. She's someone who I can just be with and that's enough. If she ever listens to this podcast, she'll be like, oh. If she ever does, she'll be like, oh, you're so cheesy. (laughs) Because that's always her reaction whenever I try to be overtly romantic. Fair enough. Yes, so Smallville. I would love to see it if they let us see his early days as Superman, because that's what we all want to see from Smallville, right? What's he like when he's Superman? You can read the comics, I suppose. I haven't. (laughs) I'm just happy to imagine that he's kind of a bumbling superhero before he's Superman, and I imagine he's just as incompetent when he is Superman. I would assume so. We're moving back to Marvel characters. We're done with the CW now, quite a light month for CW stuff. Unless you want me to read when shows are coming back, that's not interesting. There's air dates for shows, but who cares? They're coming back. That's what we have Wikipedia for. Yes, exactly. Or TV line or whoever reports on that sort of stuff. Entertainment Weekly, usually. That's where I get that. So we're moving back to Marvel, sort of. Sony Marvel. It's not real Marvel, although it's connected to Spider-Man. Again, sort of, without being connected to Spider-Man. We have casting for one of my least favourite comic book villains of all time, Craven the Hunter. And it's going to be Aaron Taylor Johnson, of all people. Wouldn't it be my choice? He's Russian in the comics. Aaron Taylor Johnson is not Russian. Although I imagine he'll use a similar accent that he used when he played Quicksilver. Yeah, just something generically and unplaceably Eastern European. Yeah. I imagine them pulling some kind of crap of Craven being of mysterious origin, and nobody knows exactly where he came from, because it adds to his mystique of this ultimate big game hunter or some nonsense. With all of these not-Spider-Man films that Sony are making, for me, they just fail on a conceptual level, because removing these characters from the context of Spider-Man, it also takes away a large aspect of what makes them interesting, because it's precisely how they interact with Spider-Man that the people care about. Like Venom, you've got Spider-Man as a hulking violent thug, and with Kraven, you have Kraven perceiving Spider-Man as the ultimate prey, and the greatest trophy that he ever collect. But to remove that characterization and motivation for them, you're left with something that doesn't need to be those specific characters in order to operate. Like with Craig, when we were talking about it off mic, you mentioned the possible plot of him going after poachers, because that's about about as concept as you you can get for plot involving someone being the ultimate hunter. Or he might have to hunt some kind of mythical beast or whatever. Or maybe he could hunt Venom. I guess that would fit in with their shared non-Spider-Man containing universe. It possibly could, though it actually wouldn't surprise me if that never actually occurred to any of them. Yeah, with these Spider-Man characters, so yeah, Craven is not interesting unless he's involved in Spider-Man, and I would argue not interesting even when he is involved in Spider-Man. Venom is a different story because he has had quite a storied 
solo history. I suppose Craven probably has as well, or he's appeared in other things. I know he was considered as a villain in Black Panther at one point, or as a villain in Black Panther at one point, but they'd never got anywhere because I guess they couldn't use him. Sony were like, no, no, he's ours. We've got plans for this guy. Trust us. It's a difficult one. Morbius, without Spider-Man, it's just a vampire movie. So this is, I don't know. What is there here? What is this? Why should I be interested in it? In this thing, I mean, I genuinely don't know. Yeah, so let's move on because that's it. He's been cast. They're making it. Cool. Good for him. He gets paid. So that's good for him. <laughs> he gets paid. I hope he plays it as disinterestedly as he does in Godzilla. Mm-hmm. That's what I hope. Related to that, we have an official name for the Sony Spider-Man shared universe. Not Spider-Man shared universe. <laughs> the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters or Spunk for short. That made it out of some kind of marketing meeting. Someone decided, this is a good idea. Release it. <laughs> we don't need anything else. I sometimes really wish that I could be on the inside of these kinds of meetings, because they presumably involve some kind of brainstorming or pitching, which it then follows that other suggestions put forward were even stupider. <laughs> yeah. What are the ones that didn't make the cut? That's a good question. Exactly. and It boggles the mind to think about what other nonsense these overpaid marketing gimps are churning out. (laughs) Sony, doing well without your Spider-Man, and they'll take Spider-Man back at some point as well, probably, and then ruin him again. Because that's what they do. Unless they make more Spider-Verses and do them well. Give them that and some other things that they've made with Spider-Man in it, to be fair. It's not all bad. Just recently, they've not quite done as good as they should do. Next up, Resident Evil. One of my favourite things. I love Resident Evil. So it's the Resident Evil live-action series at Netflix, not to be confused with the film that stars Robbie Amell and some other people. It's not the same thing. Wesker's in both of them, but not the same thing. These are two distinct Resident Evil universes. So you've got this Netflix live-action show, you've got the Netflix animated show, which is set in the video game universe, you've got this cinematic reboot that's out in September at the moment that stars, as I say, Robbie Amell and some other people. Neil McDonough's in it. He plays William Birkin, so that's exciting. I always love to see Neil McDonough do stuff, especially when he's a villain. Listen back to our legend stuff. We gush about the guy constantly. And there was a previous monthly roundup that Chris was on where we were just trying to cast him in everything. Who could play this guy? Neil McDonough. <laughs> just because I'll watch him in everything because he's brilliant. For the live action series, they have set the main cast. Lance Reddick is starring as Albert Wesker. People will be kicking off because he doesn't have blonde hair. And I'm sure that's the only thing they'll be kicking off about. Yes. That's all. Absolutely nothing else about his physical and visual appearance (laughs) will cause the trolls to kick up a stink. Yeah. Although the hair is pretty distinctive. I do hope that they give him a really crappy, spiky, (laughs) blonde do that's so obviously bleached. That would be awesome. But for Wesker, it's the voice. And I think Lance Reddick will do a perfect over-the-top villain voice. If that's the route they're going to go down, they might want to take it a bit seriously. But there's other cast. They haven't said who they're playing. Ella Belinska, Tamara Smart, Sienna... Agudong, Adeline Rudolph, and Paolo Nunez. Don't know who any of them are. Details on the characters the others will be playing are kept under wraps. Resident Evil was originally ordered at Netflix back in August. In this series, nearly three decades after the discovery of the T-virus, an outbreak reveals the Umbrella Corporation's dark secrets. Netflix is given the one-hour show an eight-episode order. Reddick will be the first actor of colour to portray Albert Wesker in the long history of the franchise. Well, the live-action franchise. There was two Weskers. Both were awful. It wasn't the actor's fault. Although I think in the case of the second guy it was. Maybe there was more than two. I don't know. 
I honestly couldn't tell them apart, to be honest. Yeah. Well, the first one was, what's his name? Was it Jason O'Meara? The guy who was the new director of S.H.I.E.L.D. in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Actually, yeah, I, I forgot that. Yeah, he was the first Wesker. With the Resident Evil movies, after the third one, they, they all kind of blur together. I don't dispute that. Can't remember what happens in which one or what characters appear where and when. Yeah. So that's it. Lance Reddick as Wesker. I think it's a good choice, especially if he does a really over-the-top villain voice. But I don't know if they'll be trying to do it a bit more sinister and serious, in which case he can probably do that too. Either way, I think he's going to do a really good job and I'm quite looking forward to seeing what he does. And I want him to have bleached 90s spiky hair. Has to be done. Oh, 90s. Yeah, the 90s. Back to Disney again. We have casting for live-action Snow White, so this is still happening. They're still remaking everything that they ever made animated as live-action. This particular casting, we've got Rachel Zegler in the title role of Snow White. Mark Webb is directing. Rachel's extraordinary vocal abilities are just the beginning of her gifts. Webb said her strength, intelligence and optimism will become an integral part of rediscovering the joy in this classic Disney fairy tale. If you want to see her sing, you'll be able to see her later on this year in West Side Story, the Steven Spielberg version of it. She's in that too. Not against the casting. I'm against the idea that they're making it in a way, but sure she's very good. Yeah, I mean, there's not really a lot you can say about it because the film that will make her famous has not been released yet. And uh, as well as that, she also has some kind of role in Shazam! Fury of the Gods, though it's not been stated as who or how big a part it is. Yeah, so not really a lot you can say about somebody who everyone is unfamiliar with. But yes, I concur with thinly veiled contempt for the continual remaking of everything after... Disney realised that they just need to keep on churning out everything that they've made before and people will keep on paying to see it again. Yes, and to be fair, they are. So why would they stop? And that's what's frustrating about it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one of the things. One of the things. We won't get into all the other things. Oh, what's going on? I can't... uh, I can't... uh, Keep my eyes open. Isaac, is, is that you? Am I asleep? Where are we? Where am I? Yeah, hello. Welcome to the Palace of the Dreaming, the weird world of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Palace of the Dreaming. This is a new one. Yeah, it's a weird 90s clouds and talking ravens and goblins and monsters. (laughs) Perfect setting for us to chat about the recent longer Sandman casting. Well, I guess since we're here. So this is the Netflix Sandman thing. Yes. And there's been a bunch of cast before which we may or may not have talked about in an earlier episode yeah that was uh, a month or two ago i think that was very basic that was only five or six characters but this one's a bit more fleshed out so it gives us more to talk about so who is playing the sandman so sandman is tom Sturridge. with lots of these cast things i don't know the actors but i'm just looking at their faces and going yeah that fits tom Sturridge looks very much like the Sandman. It's one of these ones where you really couldn't have found a better... Like, hopefully he's good at acting, but you've had seen his face and gone, that's the face for the person. He's credited as Dream on IMDb, is that right? I don't know very much about this property. Yeah, in the world of Sandman, there's a group called the Endless. They fill certain roles. So, for example, we have Dream, we have Death, who we'll talk about in a bit, Desire, Despair, etc. Um, yeah, so he's referred to as either... Sandman, Dream, and I think sometimes Morbius as well. Kind of like how Odin has Allfather, One Eye, etc. They have many titles depending on different worlds or different cultures that dream or speak of dreams or treat them as gods or as devils or whatever. Cool. I think I've read some comics that Sandman appears in, but the only 
prevailing memory I really have is where he gets killed in Smallville. Wesley Dodds is the character's name, and he has like a gas mask. Yes. And he gets killed by an icicle in one episode of Smallville. Just checking, I don't think they've announced Wesley Dodds because he is quite a big, not too spoilery. I know this show is going to cover the first two graphic novel collections. And then be cancelled at the end of its first season. Yeah, and be cancelled at the end of the first season. But yes, Wesley Dodds briefly takes over as the Sandman, as he is. I think when the series starts, he's been imprisoned for a while. And Wesley Dodds has sort of filled the role. Yeah, actually, they haven't announced him yet. So uh, that's one to look forward to. Maybe they're keeping it either secret or they might be doing different with it. Yeah, it's sort of the 50s detective look, but with the gas mask and the fedora and all that. Yeah, I remember that from, again, Smallville. And probably some comics I've read. And I think he was in the Justice Society as well. I think so. I think when the Sandman existed as a superhero pre the Neil Gaiman, I think he was, yeah, he was just a noirish detective. And then this version of Neil Gaiman added the more celestial, godlike version. So Neil Gaiman did to this character essentially what Alan Moore did to the Watchmen characters. Was these yeah, basically. Spare parts lying around and they just repurposed. Yeah, they just took the ones that they couldn't sell and basically reinvented them. Yeah. With occasional dips back into the DC world, just to keep it as part of the universe. Cool. So I'm not going to go through the entire cast, because there's quite a lot of them, but I'm going to just pick out some. So Kirby Howell Baptiste, she was in The Good Place. She was really good in that. She's death. So yes, that's probably self-explanatory, right? The Grim Reaper, essentially. Death, Grim Reaper. As always, there's people on the internet who aren't very happy, because death is traditionally a white goth, but doesn't matter. Death can be anyone. It's a simple form. Yeah, like you said, death is death. She goes around and speaks to the people as she takes them. It's one of these characters that her role builds over the books, but I think she's very popular. They did it in the Audible version, which had Kat Dennings as death. Oh, right, okay. They gave her a much bigger role because... I'm trying to think of like an example. That character kind of span off and then they made more comics about her after Sandman. So... I guess X-Men and Wolverine, maybe? Yeah, or like a Kitty Pride, maybe, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, a character that becomes famous enough of an ensemble thing that they can spin off and do their own version. Like Venom. Like Venom, yeah. So I expect <laughs> to see much more of Death than we have in the books, which should be exciting. Mason Alexander Park is Desire, a yeah. non-binary actor. Yes. I have seen that people were complaining about that because I saw something about Neil Gaiman defending that casting specifically. He... I think people were kicking off more for the use of the pronouns in the cast sheet. Oh, right. Okay. Well, why not normalize it? Sure. <laughs> yeah. And again, the Desire is a character who is very fluid, not as Loki in a trickster sense, but in like a hedonism sense. Desire is everything we desire. It's power, lust, food, comfort. They are yeah, the god of desire, the god of greed and want so they've always been fluid in terms of gender so it's not out the blue to cast a non-gender binary actor do they have the ability to bring those desires out in people or is it feeding on them or something else each one kind of in charge of the realms yeah they're kind of a bit difficult to explain desire just celebrates wild hedonism celebrated in the same way that you'd have dionysus the god of wine in greece and stuff there's parties and celebrations and stuff towards desire as this god character and they just move along the earth and time sort of reveling in wine and food and comfort and no consequence for their actions and stuff not relatively large in the plot that i remember 
But it's one of the more fun characters. There's no seriousness to them. So the sort of character you'd pull in for like the light-hearted comic relief. I think this is sort of one that you get if you want to do some grand scenes. You know, if Netflix wants to film some Gardens of Babylon, beautiful scenery sort of stuff. This is the character you get for those sort of scenes. Donna Preston as Despair. Yeah. Again, it's pretty the, self-explanatory, uh, I guess. Opposite desire, pretty much. Despair is the Sanders depression and loss. Not dissimilar to death but despair feeds on the sanders anger and everything else in the world isn't really a villain but they sort of work better when characters are at the lowest so not a good character but (laughs) not particularly evil just that's their job is to feed on the the low points of everyone's lives so they kind of show up when everyone's at rock bottom yeah they are what they are i guess yeah got a bunch of human characters after that i'm just gonna gonna gloss over these lighter hall ethel crips both young and old well young and Present day, not old. <laughs> Jolie Richardson is not old. She's older than the other actor. Playing. Yeah, older than the other one. It's a character that we see two halves of their lives. So old and young, Ethel Cripps. Litter Hall, sometimes it's Hippolyta, which is obviously the Amazonian character from Themyscira. Sometimes it's just a human. They've done it some different ones. So that'd be quite interesting to see what they do with that. David Thewlis, John D. That's the one I'm most excited about. John D is Zedless Batman villain called Dr. Destiny. Also known as oh, John Dee. Yeah, I know him. It's going to be a most controversial element of the show. It's a really disturbing issue, or a really disturbing part of the book, where John Dee basically tortures people for 24 hours in a diner. Netflix have said already, we are doing the very disturbing diner storyline. They've said, if you don't want to watch it, it's going to be episode five. <laughs> they have pointed out, because it's really unpleasant. It's one of those ones where... It's not fun to read. It wasn't good to listen to on Audible. It's also the best part of Sandman. It's the most tense and it's a real sort of nightmare brung alive. And I think the character is a sort of creepy, very inwards, nasty character. And I think David Thewis, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch him just be the worst thing you've seen. Based on my squeamish ways, I think I'll have trouble with that. I think they usually design it so that it isn't a big plot element. You can go from the start to the end. And all you're missing is basically the torture. It's just pushing the world of nightmares as far as it can. And it was written in 1989 when comics were getting extreme. And <laughs> when you had the awful things that happened in, oh, which is the Alan Moore one with Jacqueline Hyde. That really controversial storyline way. Is it Extraordinary Gentleman? It will be, yeah. If it was Dr. Jekyll and yeah. Hyde and Alan Moore, it would be, yeah. I don't know much about the comics. So I've seen the film and I don't hate it. Even though everyone else does, I quite liked. I never saw the the film came out before I was really into comics. I missed a lot of stuff. Sean Connery's last live action appearance. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting that Sean Connery's dead. Wild couple of years we've had. (laughs) So that's John D. Rose Walker. She is the main protagonist that we follow in the second book, in the second half of the series. She's connected to the world of the dreaming in a way that she doesn't fully understand at the beginning. And as her story goes on, she's pulled more and more into the dreaming and the different endless characters who have their stake in the game. She's guided along by another excellent caster, Stephen Fryer's Gilbert, who is, I have a feeling that in the 80s, Stephen Fry was a a relatively known actor at that point, and I think he was, if not the base sort of one, but one that Neil Gaiman might have thought of as Gilbert at the time, because Stephen Fry's just playing himself here in that role, <laughs> if they do it like it is in the book, so... Like the Cheshire Cat, I guess, when he played the Cheshire Cat. Kind of, yeah. These bits are set in America, and it is the most English Englishman. Every English stereotype pushed into one slightly portly 
sort of gentleman character, so very easy get there. So to use parlance, I understand Rose is a bit like Buffy and Gilbert would be the Giles. Yeah, it's the Buffy and Giles. Mentor-mentee type situation. The mentor-mentee type, yeah, the Luke and Obi-Wan, mm. I guess. And there's another one you can use. Just any mentor-mentee. Just Buffy yeah. and Giles immediately jumps out to me. Yeah, because of the supernatural element and the Englishness stuff. Yes. Patton Oswald is Matthew, uh, Matthew Raven. Raven. I'm guessing that's an actual Raven. Yes, yeah, just talking Raven. Yeah, Patton Oswald is, again, it's another comic relief character it's a raven who's real sort of down to earth and slightly kind of annoyed at everything i think they got andy circus in audible yes andy circus for audible and, and he insisted on motion capturing but they were like, it's audio, and, audio. Yeah, andy, and he was like but i'm gonna do it anyway he recorded it on his drain pipe <laughs> <laughs> in a nest he built like two weeks prior yeah wearing his mocap suit just flapping around flapping around yeah yeah so that's what he does he gets into it it's like, we're not yeah. filming you, Andy. He's like, I don't care. I'm filming myself. Pat Oswalt's one of those actors that I keep hearing of, but I don't think I've seen them in anything. I sort of know them by reputation hmm. or when they appear on SNL or Hot Ones or any of those sort of YouTube stuff. Is he Modoc in that weird Modoc? Yes, he is. And I think he's in charge of it as well. I don't know whether he writes it or produces it or both. Yeah. He definitely voices it as well, but it is his baby, I think. He was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a bit from season two right up until the end, just kind of kept appearing periodically and the recent and possibly final season of veronica mars those are big things i know him from i've seen him in other stuff too he's one of those guys where he turns up and he's like oh it's that guy yeah he's a real that guy there should be no problem there with him as the raven the next one is one i'm pretty interested in so we've got jenna coleman i like jenna coleman as joanna constantine a gender flipped john constantine i'm fully behind this casting because i like jenna coleman but also I'm fully behind this because they have acknowledged that they cannot beat Matt Ryan as John Constantine, so they've cast a woman instead. I was going to say, there's a similar situation they've cast Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer, and I think it's the same situation where you have very popular, obviously Tom Ellis as Lucifer, has one more series to go on Netflix, I think, and then, yeah, like yeah. you said, they have John Constantine. And I think they don't want to cancel out any more future uses of either of those two actors for those two characters. So I think they've done the same thing as, oh, we'll get, I think because they gender flipped Lucifer. I mean, Lucifer, I guess, is a character who, similar to Desire, picked their own form. So this is the same Lucifer as the, well, I mean, I know the TV series is nothing like the comics, but it's that Lucifer. It's the Neil Gaiman Lucifer in both cases. Yeah, the Neil Gaiman Lucifer, who, like Death, the character of Death and not the concept of Death, was popular enough to get their own comics. Okay. And I think in this case, they're not giving up on Tom Hellis or who is it who plays Constantine and yeah, Matt Ryan. They're not giving up on them yet. So they're keeping them separate for yes, the sensible choice of keeping them in different worlds. I don't know much about Constantine. Is there a Joanna Constantine in the family or is this a brand new character made for the show? Do you know? I don't think so. I think she is just John Constantine, but gender flipped. I yep. think that's what they've done here. Constantine would have predated the Neil Gaiman Sandman run, wouldn't he? Because the Hellblazer stuff. I think that would have been like maybe a tie-in. Constantine appears very early in the book. And mm. I think that's one of the ones where like, we have a new series. And if you buy the... This character doesn't sell, we'll just let you use him. They probably put Sandman stuff in like, for example, uh, yeah, Doctor Destiny and stuff. He would have gone like, oh, yeah. Batman's put Doctor Destiny. And it's a sort of story where it's like, oh yeah, here's a new world for you to buy get this yeah. issue and find out the rest of the story in this issue sort of thing. There'll be a Keanu Reeves movie in like 10 years or whatever. Yeah, exactly. As far as I'm aware, I don't think they've 
confirmed or said anything about it yet, but I think the Sandman show is still going to be set in 1989. Okay. Which would also be another reason of if you use Constantine, he's going to age incredibly well if they're just keeping in between 1989 and 2021 and just looking the same guy. Yeah, I mean, it's a different version, isn't it? And they've gender flipped for, I guess, whatever reason. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. As long as she still wields magic and knows her way around the the mystical side of things, then it's fine. I wonder if she'll be a chain-smoking bisexual, like the, the John Constantine's. I'm imagining, to do you remember the Matt Smith Christmas special where she's a Victorian governess? I'm imagining just that voice, and then she's just wearing a suit. Yeah, the trench coat. Hopefully <laughs> she'll have yeah, the, like, the full just look. the beige trench suit, yeah. and like, yeah, the tie and stuff. Yeah, like the mussy blonde hair, <laughs> but just a woman. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's pretty much what I'm imagining. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they go for. Because John's very abrasive. He's a very abrasive character. He's difficult to get along with. But he's one of those, has a strong sense of what's right and wrong or what he believes to be right and wrong, but he also knows that he has to cross the line occasionally. He's he's that kind of morally conflicted character and his soul is tied to hell and all this stuff. So he's quite a tortured character. So I wonder if this version will be like that. It's probably a lot to get into for this show. Yeah, maybe. We can probably allude to it. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that Constantine is popular enough from Legend of Tomorrow and that old Keanu Reeves movie that everyone wants a sequel to for some reason. And that one season TV show that cancelled. Oh yeah, the cancelled TV show he was in. So I think, yeah, the character's popular enough that you can just sort of like, if you're watching Sandman or whatever, you probably know who Constantine is. You get that whole vibe, so... I'm just wondering if it'll be the proper Cockney vibe chain-smoking, you know, that kind of abrasive attitude. Yeah, I imagine it'll be pretty similar. I don't know about chain-smoking. I don't know. It depends. Does Netflix condone or endorse smoking in their products? Hey, maybe. I suppose it's not the most important part of the character. No. When they did the NBC show, they kept referencing the fact that he smoked, or they kept hinting at it, but they weren't allowed to show it at any point. And then when he appears on Arrow, the first thing you see him do is stamping out a cigarette, just to say, we can do that. Yeah, we can do it on this one now. Yeah. And he smokes on Legends every now and again as well. Yeah, so. should we just keep putting like patches on, like loads of patches on her arm? Like, I'm on patches at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> or she's always chewing on nicotine gum yeah, or something. Nicorette gum. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the only character I really know an awful lot about. Well, Lucifer, I know a lot about because of the TV show, but I know that the TV show is nothing like the comics. Yeah, I think Lucifer, as they are in Sandman, is much more of a just standard devil character not a detective that solves crimes <laughs> no just a ruler of hell sort yeah. of one so yeah not as exciting i wonder if they'll bring in other lucifer adjacent characters like mazikeen and whatever else yeah they might be i mean i think there's a few angels and thingy and it's one of these sort of things where you can always do cameos moving back and yeah i wouldn't be surprised if they beef up their cast with a few extra roles the last one unity kincaid yeah not the most Exciting character to finish on. Unity Kincaid is mostly asleep for the story. It's just someone who they get caught up in some of Sandman's. He has three MacGuffins, pretty much. He has this sort of insect gas mask thing, his ruby and his pouch of sand. And essentially, that first bit is just him recollecting his treasures. And she's just someone with one of the treasures. And they're stuck in a world of sort of half asleep, half awake. Say some things, but. It's not the most active role. Stuck in a world of half asleep, half awake. I can relate. Yeah. This is my gateway character. By the yeah. things. Between two and three on any work day. <laughs> you've had your break and you don't want to get back to work. And you're like, oh no. It's just that, but for years. <laughs> just forever. Yeah. Always operating at like 20%. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know if there's any of the previous ones you want to go through. Not really. I think we covered it in an earlier one. Pretty simple. Yeah, Cain and Abel, we know from yeah. the Bible. The Bible, yeah. When is this out? I have no idea. It says 2021 on IMDb, so I don't know how accurate Okay, I imagine the earliest is towards the end of the year. The earliest start I can imagine would be like Halloween-ish to November. You know what it's like with Netflix. You hear nothing and then they just say, oh, it's out next week. Yeah, they don't do excitement trailers. It'll just be like a trailer be like, oh yeah. yeah. Streaming next week from something to something. Well, wait a minute. There's a bit about Joanna Constantine in this article. I should have read it. 18th century occult adventuress, John Constantine's great-great-great-grandmother. Okay. Okay. This Sandman character became so popular she even had her own spin-off series. I created her to fill the role that John Constantine does in the past. When we broke down the first season, given that we know we were encountering Joanna in the past... We wondered what would happen if we met a version of her in the present as well. We tried it and the script was spark air, feist her in some ways, but even more fun. So having written her, we just had to cast her. Jane Coleman gave us the Joanna of our dreams. Tough, brilliant, tricky, haunting, probably doomed. All right, okay. Okay, so it sounds like, yeah, they just merged the John Constantine we know and his great-great-grandmother. Probably should have read this. <laughs> Maybe even more smoking than we expect. Maybe even more, yeah. Even more. Even bigger coats and ties. Yeah, Maybe. I don't know if anyone's interested in more stuff. They did one of those, look how excited we are, teaser trailers, where it's just Neil Gaiman walking around different sets going, oh, wow. He says the classic, oh, it's what I saw in my head come to life. <laughs> Lines. It's what I saw the money in my bank account. This is one thing I'm very excited about. Hopefully we get more than just a couple of series of this. It's going to be one of those sort of shows that just gets more and more expensive. Do they do Jupiter's Legacy or was that Amazon? Yes, which has been cancelled. <laughs> After that one, after that sort of money disaster thing, they might be maybe being a little bit more careful with their money. But I'm hoping this kicks off because it's a very interesting world. It doesn't really stay the same as much as much as Dream stayed the same. It can basically go anywhere. There's some really wild stories down the line. One of the stories completely features cats, which should be fun. <laughs> it's just every character, but they're a cat. It can get as weird as dreams can get weird. So hopefully they go as experimental as possible and people are happy to see it. We shall try and do maybe a full podcast on it when it drops. Sounds like you'll have plenty to say. I would love to. I know, yeah, I'll have plenty to say. Once we see it in action, I'm well happy to talk about it. Cool. Well, watch this space. Yeah. That's a really good overview. That's given me some information about stuff. And I probably should have actually read that article rather than just looked at the picture because it does have some useful information there linked in the show notes. Link in the show notes. The show notes save our lives. Looking at it now, the only thing it really gives us that you didn't give us was the Joanna Constantine thing. Oh, yeah. Which I don't feel is going to be like crazy important to the show. She's not going to be constantly referencing, oh, yeah, my great great grandson. <laughs> He does a similar job to me. My great-great-grandson, who's now travelling through time with some weirdos in a spaceship. Yeah, I doubt that'll come up too much. <laughs> yeah. Sandman in the Arrowverse confirmed. Could you imagine? Nah, let's not. <laughs> let's not connect everything. Or maybe we should. I don't know. If you yeah. can dream it, you can make it. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> there could be a dream episode of Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, there absolutely could. I think there already has been, sort of. In fact, there definitely has. Yeah. But not a full dream episode, but... Yeah, they've done it. They've played around with... Dreaming. Yeah, they can probably fit in whatever the next crossover is. Yeah, sure. Why not? It's all possible. Hey, that sounds like the awful sound of an alarm. The awful, awful beeps are bringing you away, and I'm fading into to nothing like a half-forgotten memory. Goodbye.
Sorry, did I fall? I think I fell asleep. I just had a dream that I was talking to Isaac about Sandman. It's so weird. What a weird podcast this is. Am I really that boring to listen to that you literally fall asleep right in the middle of recording? It was either that or I was thinking about the Snow White casting and the fact that they're making another Snow White live action thing. Believe which one you want to, whichever makes you feel better. I will choose to go with the latter because that does not affect my self-esteem in any way. But I feel rested and feel knowledgeable, so it was a worthwhile nap, I guess, that I just had where I spoke to Isaac about Sandman casting. I actually think that they've done a really good job with it. The whole Sandman adaptation, it wasn't ever going to happen until they actually realised that it would need to be done as a TV series and not a film. And now that they've got that into their heads, then it certainly seems that they also managed to get handle on the right kinds of of actors that that would do well as the characters. I was faintly amused before I got bored with it uh, about the various whining from people voicing their objections for tediously predictable reasons, making it very, very clear that they might be dimly aware of the comics but didn't actually understand them. Say, like, with Death being cast with a black actress, then it doesn't really matter because basically Death is an entity of all people, regardless of ethnicity. And in fact, throughout the comics, Ron was portrayed several times as something other than white, and as well as something other than human, which I think would be more of a significant thing. And there's also a thing about Desire being a a non-binary actor, a trans actor, I can't remember exactly. Non-binary, yeah. It's it's non-binary, yeah. Which also works with a part of Desire's whole thing is that they are specifically neither male nor female. And at different points in the story, they take on male and female characteristics depending on the situation. So as well as being able to be briefly amused by the whining of internet trolls, I think that the fact that the producers aren't pointedly limiting themselves, and as I, as I mentioned, it goes to show that they actually really understand what they're doing, which is probably helped along in no small way by one of them being Neil Gaiman. But yeah, it's something I... I'm really looking forward to. With the nature of everything being focused on dreams and ethereal reality and mutable perception, then the only limits of what they can do with it is the imaginations of the creatives involved and the size of the budgets they're given. Honestly, I think it's going to be fantastic. Well, we'll soon see. Soonish. Okay, next up is a film that I chose to talk about because of the title. Because the, the title is very provocative in of itself. It's a film called Pussy Island and it's directed by Zoe Kravitz and Channing Tatum will star in it. Kravitz co-wrote with some people and Channing Tatum's production company will produce. It's about Frida, a young, clever Los Angeles cocktail waitress who has her eyes set on the prize, philanthropist and tech mogul Slater King, played by Tatum, when she skillfully manoeuvres her way into King's inner circle and ultimately an intimate gathering on his private island, she is ready for the journey of a lifetime. Despite the epic setting, beautiful people, ever-flowing champagne and late-night parties, Frida can sense that there's more to this island than meets the eye, something she can't quite put her finger on, something terrifying. And there's a bit of chat about the title that she says. The title means a lot of things said Kravitz. I started writing this story in 2017. As a woman in general and a woman in this industry, I've experienced some pretty wild behaviour from the opposite sex. The title was kind of a joke at first. This place where people would go, bring women, party and hang out. The story evolved into something else, but the title wound up having multiple meanings. As it alludes to this time and place we claim to not be in anymore. 
in terms of sexual politics. People are evolving and changing, but there's still a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths from past behaviour. It's a nod to that, but it's also playful and a really playful film in a lot of ways. I like that the title leads with that and has some pretty heavy meaning behind that. So it sounds pretty cool. Sounds pretty fun. It sounds a bit like Fantasy Island, actually, but hopefully not as bad. Yeah, that was my first thought as well, actually. And extending to hopefully it's not as bad because that was dire. And I like the description of it. It was basically the setup, but not actually going into too much detail about what exactly it is that's going on there that we're going to expect. Yeah, she goes to this island, something weird happens. That's our film. Give it a watch. I think it'll certainly be worth checking out, at least, if for nothing else, to see exactly how the multiple variations of its title come into play. Yeah, how many different ways they can say it. (laughs) How many times they can get away with saying the word. Okay, we're approaching the end now. So the Lord of the Rings franchise is getting more stuff. It's heading back to the big screen, but in animated form. Hopefully better than the last time it was in animated form. Let's just not. Yeah. It's a Warner Animation anime titled The Lord of the Rings, The War of the Rohirrim. And Oscar-winning feature architects Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh are not involved with the project, mm-hmm. at least at the moment. It focuses on a character from the book's appendix, the mighty king of Rohan, Helm Hammerhand, and a legendary battle which helped shape the Middle-earth heading into Lord of the Rings. The anime pick will expand on the untold story behind the fortress of Helm's Deep, delving into the life and blood-soaked times of Hammerhand. Overall, the movie is a companion piece to the Lord of the Rings trilogy and is set roughly 250 years before the movie during the Third Age. Amazon's upcoming Lord of the Rings miniseries is set during the Second Age. Is an addendum there. Cool. More Lord of the Rings stuff. It's good that they're playing around with that because it is such a rich world that deserves to be played with. Yeah, it isn't one I am actually overly familiar with because the lore of Lord of the Rings and Middle-earth has actually been a massive blind spot that I've meant to actually address for years but never quite found the time so I'm not too knowledgeable about anything beyond the events of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit as depicted in the films of course yes I don't have time to read books anymore yeah if it's important they'll make a film or TV show out of it exactly as they evidently are now yeah so it'll be interesting to see more of Middle Earth being brought to life though I'm not too sure that it will have quite the amount of appeal that seems to be assumed because obviously the main selling point is the connection to Lord of the Rings but at the same time because I'm not actually familiar with the story to be to be depicted I'm not sure how much direct narrative tissue it shares with the trilogy. I guess Helm's Deep as you're in that's the thing the audience will be familiar with and Rohan as well. Yeah I'm, I just can't help thinking that if it's narratively too divorced from Lord of the Rings then it may end up being perceived as just merely a generic fantasy movie. Yeah, that's always the risk. I'm still going to watch it, of course, and I'll probably enjoy it because I have a tendency to enjoy even really bad fantasy on screen anyway. Books are a whole other matter don't have time for. But it's an interesting development, and I will be following it and looking forward to it. Cool. Next up, after we got A Quiet Place 2, one of the first films back in cinemas post-pandemic, Well, it's not post-pandemic, we're still in a pandemic, but I guess when things started reopening in the midst of this pandemic. The next thing from that universe will be 
not the third part, although I'm sure that's coming. It'll be a spin-off movie set to be released in 2023. John Krasinski will not be directing and will be instead giving over the reins to acclaimed director Jeff Nichols, who directed, among other things, Midnight Special, which is a film I didn't actually like that much. It looks like it's just going to be following different people in a different part of the world, which if you're going to do it, that's fine, but it's diminishing returns. We've already done that. Let's be really quiet in the cinema thing kind of twice and we don't really need to do it again. So spin-off or direct sequel, I'm not that excited at this point. I understand why they wanted to do this, but the world of Quiet Place, as compelling it is to watch, it's also very limited in potential development. There isn't really a great deal more that you can do with it that's already been done. And aside from trying to make different and interesting characters, trying to stay as quiet as possible, I'm just not sure where there is to go for it as a concept. Yeah, but we'll find out because they're doing it. So we'll find out. Okay, we're down to our last item. We already talked about Transformers Rise of the Beasts earlier on when I was on one of my weird interludes that seemed to crop up during this podcast. Don't know how it keeps happening, it just does. But as of today, we've got a bit of casting news. Ron Perlman's going to voice Optimus Primal, which is fine. I like Ron Perlman. He'll have a voice that will be distinctive. Gary Chalk originated the role. That's going to be Ron Perlman now. So I'm okay with that. I don't know how Transformers fans feel about it or how Beast Wars fans feel about it. Aaron and Angus, who talked to earlier about it, they don't really know Beast Wars. It was after their time. So I have no idea. But Ron Perlman, why not? Yeah, that pretty much sums up my thoughts, actually. I did like Transformers quite a lot as a kid, but I never got any further than them as vehicles. The whole little thing with like beasts and dinosaurs, that was after I was too old to be interested in it anymore. But not old enough to get back into it. <laughs> there is that sweet spot, isn't it, where you think all oh, your childhood stuff is uncool, and then you get to a certain age and you're like, I'm going to go back and revisit all of this. Well, it is faintly ironic to end the podcast talking about being too old for things as watched as a kid, when I started off by talking about things that I'm watching as a 30-year-old, <coughs> which <laughs> are aimed at kids. Yeah, But yeah, I really like Ron Perlman as an actor. I have no doubt he will do a great job in the role, and I'll probably check it out, just for the hell of it. Yeah. I've seen all the other Transformers films. I'll be watching this one. Bumblebee was a step in the right direction, as long as they follow that template. Well, not completely, but as long as it's along those lines, then it will be good. That's the thought anyway. Yeah, I've got nothing else. Yeah, cool. That's it. We made it through the list. We did it. We've covered all the news, apart from the news that will break half an hour after we finish recording. That'll be annoying. <laughs> I'll have to wait till next month to talk about it. It always happens. Every single time. After recording, something massive breaks, and it's, oh man, we were on the podcast at this time. But no, it's, sometimes it's days later or whatever, but yeah. It is quite funny just how quickly it moves and then how out of date this becomes immediately. So that'll happen. I'm sure it already has. I'm sure something happened as we were talking. More unlikely. Yeah, but I'm not trolling the internet to find out. So that is it. We made it through our list. Thank you very much, Andrew, for joining for this one. Great to have you back on board on the podcast after whatever your last episode was after so long. Yes, well, it's quite nice to be back. And while this was certainly quite a lengthy and intense choice with which to make my grand reappearance, I think I've acquitted myself quite well. Throw yourself in the deep end. That's the way of things. Yes, I haven't forgotten how to ramble like a nerd into a microphone. It's like riding a bike, you never forget. Exactly. So that was June. We've talked about June. Thanks to Neil Stenson for all the supplied music. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
anywhere that you can find your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a star rating and a comment. Any star rating will do, but five is our favourite number. Only if we deserve it, though. Not if you don't think we don't. But we do, so give us five stars. If you want to talk to us about anything we've discussed here or anything else, really, you can get us on Facebook and Twitter under Neil Before Blog or just go on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. There's a comment section. You can leave a comment. And as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. Mm-hmm.